that talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to the Big Wednesday Pod from Buckeye Talk. It's Doug Marie, Nathan Baird, and Stephen Means. We're doing something a little different. Frankly, we've had too much news and information on this podcast, and it makes me uncomfortable. So we've had so much discussion about like spring football, who looks good? What about this? It's like we just need to blow it up and just like talk about some random stuff. So we're going to do a draft. People like drafts. We are going to draft the 24 best head coaches in college football. Best means whatever. Again, we're talking semantics on Buckeye Talk. I'm kind of thinking thinking it myself of like, all right, if I had like a good football team that I need a coach for right now. And I'm not super worried about longevity, but it's not only, you know, the guy at his school right now, like a good coach, but you've got to recruit. I don't know. Like it's a little bit of everything, but it's a little bit of nothing. So we are going to draft eight rounds, three guys in each round. We're going to find out where we think Ryan Day fits in. We're going to see where other Big Ten coaches fit in. Where does Luke Fickle from Cincinnati fit in? You know, I think I think it'll be an interesting discussion and people like drafts. And we do have I sent out a survey. I picked 20, yeah, my, my rough top 20 and sent it out to the tech subscribers. We'll talk about where they have people on their list. And we also will reveal the winner of our Yahoo Sports NCAA tournament bracket, which was somebody who did a pretty good stinking job with their bracket. So that person will get to be on Buckeye Talk in the near future, I think. I will. We'll work with them, but I, you know, that person wants to be on like this week. I'm here for it. So, you know, we need ideas. <laughs> hey, congratulations on winning. Do you have an idea for a show? And would you like to be, uh, would you like to be the host <laughs> so that the three of us can just like go, uh, I will say I'm a little on edge. I don't know if people can sense it. One thing is I got to finish this book project and it's like the last stuff is wrapping up and I'm going crazy finishing that. But the other thing is I had, you have those moments in life, guys. Do you experience this where you're just, you have like a knot in your stomach, you're on edge and you don't know why. Like, and then you figure out maybe it was a dream. Maybe it was something you saw on TV or in a movie, Stephen. Right. Do you, and then you realize like, I shouldn't be nervous about this. It's not my actual life. Why am I letting this bother me? That happens to young people, right? Not just old people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, I think it's something you start experiencing in college. I think it's the first time I started experiencing it. It's, Sometimes it's nerves because you're thinking there's something that's supposed to be happening or I'm supposed to be doing. And why am I not doing it? And you can't really put your finger on it when you're in college. It's homework usually or studying for a test or whatnot. And when you're an adult, I think that just kind of stays with you. That idea of I don't it just seems like I'm not doing something I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah, I live with that a lot. Nathan, you hey, come on. This is a human experience, right? The the un the uncertain nausea of where why is this? happening to me right now the worst part of it is i'll get that feeling sometimes it's like a fleeting feeling and then like the next day you get completely smacked in the face by what it was that you forgot that you you were right you were right it wasn't just paranoia like you did have something else that you had to do or something you were forgetting to do in the moment and the the chickens came home to roost eventually so i have that right now even though the thing is over and i know what it is but I'm still on edge about it. And it's because Pringles and combos had such a tight game in our snack bracket. And on Easter, people were voting over the weekend in the Sweet 16, combos versus Pringles. It was 50-50 worth a while, for a while. Combos won, but I was so nervous about what was going to happen 
I'm still on edge about it after the fact. We are right now, as we report this on Tuesday, in the process of our Elite Eight voting. So we'll have a Final Four soon. Hasn't gone exactly as I expected with a lot of the voting, um, but still some decently pretty good seeds that are left in this thing. But my own bracket is making me nauseous. So congratulations, Doug, again, on your journalistic career. Let's pick coaches. And if you want to vote for snacks, if you want to do a coach survey, 614-350-3315 is how you get the free text. And by the way, if you did the 14-day free trial right now, it would take you through the spring game which is a nice little thing. Be the rest of spring football. And then if we're texting a bunch like during the spring game, hey, this matters, this matters, you would get that for free and then you could bail if you want. So now would be a good time to start. You send a text to 614-350-3315. You sign up, you're good to go for 14 days. Steven, you get the first pick. I get the second pick. Nathan gets the third pick. Nathan, because we enjoy parameters on this podcast, anything you want to say about how you are thinking about the parameters for picking your best college football head coaches. I, I got to say, as I put my list together, it was maybe less meticulous than I would be expected. Like it's, it's a lot more on feel than it is like going really deep into the numbers, looking at things. So I'm curious how that's going to mash up against the feel that you guys put out there. It is hard because we don't have a strict thing, right? And it's hard to separate guys from the schools. Steven, is there, did you like go by a set of standards or is it feel for you? No, I, I had the, I forced myself to stop overthinking a little bit. Now, especially now that I know I have the first pick, but I, I think the top five coaches are pretty, you know, you can interchange them depending on what program they're at, what conference they're in. But I had to I started overthinking some things a little bit and I had to like halt myself a little bit before I went too far and ended up making a pick I shouldn't have been making. Okay. All right. So we have the top 20 from the textures. We'll work those in as the coaches get selected here. Are you gonna learn anything from this podcast? I don't know. That's uh, I'm not making any promises. Will you find it entertaining? Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Strap in for two hours. You do that all the time. You go to movies, you don't know if it's gonna be good. Go make popcorn right now. Then wherever you are, sit down, turn out the lights. I, I don't think people are fully back at movies yet. Some people are going back. People went and saw Ging, uh, Ging Gong. King Kong and Godzilla, right? People are going to see that because it's mindless monsters fighting, which I'm in favor of, which also has been, this, this podcast has been described as that, mindless monsters fighting. So pretend it's a movie. And then if it's not good, you, at least you sat in the dark and ate popcorn. Steven Means are up first. So there's an obvious pick here, but I don't think it's that obvious. I think I went with Dabo Sweeney for my number one pick. And here is why. I, I, Nick Saban's probably going to be the next pick that comes after this, but Dabo Sweeney, Nick Saban's had some other stops in his career that haven't necessarily been as crazy as Alabama was. I get it. Alabama's got all these recruiting championships and he's got the six national titles and all that stuff. Yes, that stuff does exist. But with Dabo, I feel like he can do that and replicate it because he took a program that Clemson football was not relevant. They had six 10 win seasons before he got there and Danny Ford owned five of them. Well, Dabo's won 10 games in all but two seasons since he's been here. And one of those seasons, it was nine wins. So I think that is a – he took a program that was absolutely nothing and has made it one of the top two programs in college football. And I think that's sustainable. Nathan, are you surprised that Dabo is off the board at number one? And by the way, he's not number one from the texters. Oh, I know. He's probably number 11. 
we do have to take into account. I mean, we are not going to pretend that the texter vote is a straightforward vote. The weasel factor is at play for the yeah. texters. I don't know that the weasel factor should be in play for us. Nathan, is the weasel factor in play? And what do you think of Dabo at number one? I think personality and things like that can be in play to some extent. And it definitely affected some people that are not on my list that I think might have made your list because I think there are people who put themselves in a position where they could only coach at certain places because of that. But I don't think Dabo Swinney is one of those guys. And I agree with Steven. He would have been number one on my list. He would have been my first pick because there's nobody else out there right now. And with all due respect to Nick Saban, I don't think there's anybody else out there who has done what Dabo did, which was take over something that was nothing. And kind of, I know they had a national championship in their past, but they were not nearly on the same tier as what even Alabama was when Saban took over there and needed to kind of resurrect them. I mean, they were just a lower tier of college football and he made them into the top tier of college football, you know, multiple national championships, that sort of thing, get expected to be in the title game every year. Like there's nobody else out there that can do that, can say they did that. And he also did it without, having to do what uh, Nick Saban does as far as like a battle of attrition with recruiting um, and just piling up all of these five-star guys. I mean, he did it uh, with a little bit more nuance than that. So with all respect to that, he would have gotten my number one. Multiple quarterbacks as well. Multiple five-star quarterbacks. I'm shocked. I am shocked. Let me ask this. Does age factor into your decision at all? A little bit. Yes. Yep. Yeah, a little bit, because uh, but at the same time, it's hard, man. Because uh, Mac Jones is probably going to get brought up at some point, and Nick Saban, they're the same age. They're both sixty-nine years old. You know what I mean? But with no, one wait, guy, wait, 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 wait. I was like, why are we talking about Mac Jones? Mac Brown. Mac, Mac, yeah, Jones, Mac Jones is, is not sixty-nine years. Old. Sorry, Mac, you are not sixty-nine. You are twenty-two or whatever you are. Mac Brown and Nick Saban are the exact same age. But if I wake up tomorrow and North Carolina announces that Mac Brown retires, I'll be like, yeah, like that makes sense. While with Alabama, it's like, whoa. Nick but Saban that, retired. Well, I know how old he is. Is it? Is it? Does it matter to you that he's that that he's sixty nine? Does did that make you think? Well, as I think about best longevity, does matter a little bit. So I would go with the guy who's younger. Was that not, any factor? Not with this pick. Not with the first pick. Okay. No. Maybe down any, the line. Is that any factor for you, Nathan? A little bit, just because of the parameters we're talking about, right? Like, who would you? pick now who would you pick today not who is the best active coach it's not really what we're saying right it's like who would you take to lead a program right now or resurrect a program or build a program right now and when it's when you're putting that kind of parameter on it i think it's swinney is the clear choice so let me ask do you steven steven do you believe that nick saban is the best college football coach of all time or is maybe two to bear bryant I think he's number one. Nathan, where do you think Nick Saban is all time? Yes, I, I think it's it's one of those two things. So if Nick Saban is a better all-time coach than Dabo Sweeney at this point, is it just because Dabo hasn't had the chance to win? You know, by the time Dabo coaches for as long as Saban has, he'll have more national titles. What is the rationale of, I acknowledge that Nick Saban is the best college football coach of all time, yet he is not the number one pick in this draft. I think it is that. I think Dabo's legacy is still being built. While at this point, whether Nick Saban continues to win rings or not, he's established. You know, we are, it is what it is with him. He's just, everything else right now is a bonus at this point. While with Dabo, it's, he's in the middle, he's in the thick, the thick of it right now. And we'll see 10, 10, 15 years down the line where it is, if he's, you know, tied Nick Saban or not. 
I, you know, it, I didn't look up Dabo Swinney's age, so 51. that tells. Yeah, so I mean, but Nick Saban has almost a twenty-year head start on him as mm-hmm. far as accomplishing things as a head coach, and uh, w- was not like blowing the doors off the place. I mean, he didn't do at Michigan State what Dabo Swinney has done at Clemson. I think you know it was when he got to the sec and got to some places that were football factories that he maximized that. I'm not trying to diminish his accomplishments. He would be my number two pick, but again, just what, what Dabo Swinney has done, taking just lifting Clemson from relative obscurity to being, you know, right there alongside Alabama as the power in the sport, I think is what makes him number one. Yeah. That matters. The fact that this is Dabo's first head coaching job and he's doing this. So, I'll pick a second. I would pick Saban. I would put Saban first. The Texters definitely pick Saban first. Saban 1.11 in the Texter ranking, which is like practically everybody picking Saban one. Now, weasel factor, we acknowledge the weasel factor. So that certainly is at play here. I think what you guys are saying about Saban pre-Alabama underestimates what he did pre-Alabama. At Michigan State, his last year, they won 10 games. Their winning percentage, at, at his winning percentage at Michigan State his last year was the highest winning percentage at Michigan State in 34 years. So, okay, he didn't turn Michigan State into Clemson. Also, Clemson's in the South. It's surrounded by stuff, right? There's a little better chance for Clemson to be Clemson than for Michigan State to be Clemson, which we all acknowledge. But what he did, I mean, Michigan State was coming off the, the dead end of the George Perlis era. Three and eight, five and six, six and six, five and six in his last five years. Saban took a little while to get it going. He leaves at 10 and two, their best season in three decades. He goes to LSU. LSU was dead with with Jerry DiNardo. They were dead. They had gone four and seven and three and eight the previous two years. And he won a national title there. So, Stephen, like the idea off the top of like he's only done at Alabama. He won a national title at LSU. Like that's. Not correct. Like he has done it at multiple places, which Dabo has not done. Um, you know, not, I'm not going to count that as a minus against Dabo, but we have to acknowledge that Nick Saban was incredibly successful at LSU in a way that like they had not been in a very, very, very long time. Like, yes, they were a kind of a traditional power, but they were like a, you know, Billy Cannon, Dennis Quaid, traditional power from a long time ago. And then Alabama was dead. So it's like they were a dead powerhouse and he absolutely resurrected them. So you can say, yes, maybe Alabama has more things in place than Clemson did. But I feel like the resurrection of a dead power. I mean, if somebody if Texas wins like five national titles in the next 15 years, like that is going to be remarkable. Right. That is going to be a huge achievement even though it's Texas, because we've seen people screw up Texas for a long time now. People were screwing up Bama for a long time. And he stopped screwing people screwing it up. I'm surprised you both picked Dabo. I really am. I think, because I think, I don't think Saban, as old as he is, I don't think he's really, I mean, I wouldn't say he's at 100%, right? He's not at his peak, but I don't think he's like a lot below his peak, right? And I think, he has adapted. He's a defensive coach that has adapted to this offensive world. We saw it absolutely this year. And 
I, I don't want to take anything away from Dabo. I just think Saban has done it for so long. He he had a good year. Toledo, too. I guess it was pretty good. He has done it for so long yeah. and at multiple places that I am just not going to go away from the best college football coach of all time in a ranking like this. And if it's not age-related, like if Dabo's probably at his peak, right? I mean, Dabo's at his peak. I, I, like, how could he get better? Right. But he's not he's not below his peak at all. Saban's a little below his peak, probably. But I I still would go Saban. And I and I almost wish that Dabo wasn't a weasel. Thanks for being a weasel, Dabo, and screwing it up because we can't get an actual read from our texters on anything related to Dabo Sweeney. And I will tell you that Dabo Sweeney is third on this list, which is a nice acknowledgement by the texters. We're not going to pretend this is an unbiased texture poll. Dabo's third at three point two nine. He is by far the third. Like he's the, the guy in fourth is not on, not on his heels. I'm a, I'm a little, I'm a little surprised. Was it a hard Steven? Did you have to think as you were thinking about this? Did you have to think? Cause I didn't really have to think. I just said Saban one Dabo two. What was your thought process? Like when I first sat down and started ranking my guys. Yeah. 100%. I just Nick Saban's right there. Dabo's number two. And then let's have some fun. But then I started to think about it and, we're going to do this with a lot of guys on this list because we, you have, we, you have to, to have a ranking like this. The idea of what happens if you put this coach at a power, right? Which Alabama is, which Ohio state is, which Texas is, which us, if you gave him all those resources, what happens with Nick Saban, you don't have to play that game. Cause yes, we saw what he did at LSU and now he's at Alabama and it's even crazier. Um, we're probably going to do it with Pat Fitzgerald and whatnot. Clemson is not that. So, at some point I asked my question, if Dabo ends up being Alabama's coach in five years, why can't he do exactly what Nick Saban did with all that, those same resources? But Clemson wasn't a power, but I would say that they are that power now. I mean, they certainly pay their head coach as if they are that kind of power. I think they, they are held to that standard of that power. Right. And it's solely because of him. Like I think of when, 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 when Nick Saban is done, you don't even have to wait till he's done. He's going to be in that conversation as the greatest of all time. And I was trying to like compare this across sports a little bit. Like you would put him in, the, I'm trying to think of like what kind of a basketball coach you would maybe put him in the realm of. Cause I think of, of Dabo being someone like Mike Krzyzewski where like the, their identity yeah. and the schools now like legendary level of success are so linked and I don't know that that will even be the case for Nick Saban just because there had been such a legacy of success before him. He has capitalized on it and done great things and is should be no lower than number two on this list. But what Dabo Swinney has done in making Clemson like a, a capital letter, big deal name in college football the way it wasn't before, and it's it's directly tied to what he's, his influence as a coach. What's also crazy, just because I brought Ed Orgeron and, and Nick Saban, have the have equal success at LSU, which is kind of insane to me. Literally, Ed Orgeron is 45 and 14 and 28 and 12 conference. Nick Saban was 48 and 16, 28 and 12 in conference, which is, which is to the point of obviously Ed Orgeron is not to the level of, of Nick Saban, but it's just I think that Nathan, I think I think you're right. I, I think Dabo is the coach K and maybe Nick Saban is Cal, coach Cal with more rings in the sense that you're just an, one of another on a long line of great coaches while Coach K and Dabo, they turned their schools into blue bloods because they weren't that before they got there. That's an interesting analogy. 
I think maybe like same is more like Dean Smith or something. I don't think it, I, I, I don't, I, I know yeah, what that's you're a fair saying. one too. That's a fair one too. Um, yeah. Okay. I will be very surprised. I will look forward to texture reaction to this. Um, Cause I'm surprised. I'm surprised you both went Dabo and, and I, I, I want to hear from, from the good people, but this is what this is. I said, when we did this, I said, I want Steven to go first. Cause I want Steven to make the, the Saban Dabo choice. Yeah. I'll pick second and take whoever he doesn't. And I want Nathan Baird in the three spot in the lineup because now it gets interesting. So Nathan Baird, you are up third in our coach draft. Well, so now is this a snake draft? Do I have third and fourth? No. <laughs> we've done. We've been doing a, a million on, on the Browns podcast. We do like a draft every week now, and we do not do snake. Okay. So also, I, I think this is an easier one to not do a snake with because at this point, after these first three or four guys, that it's all about what. But you're also, about it's not about like we're not accumulating like a coaching team. Yeah. You know, it's not. We're not trying to be sneaky. It's like we're trying to come up with this is our list. This is the official Buckeye talk list of the 24 best coaches in college football. And I would like the list to not, you know, be because Nathan bear was trying to hoard big 12 coaches or something, right? It's just an honest evaluation. So no snake, just pick who you pick. Okay. Well, that, you know, there's still a couple of national championship coaches on the board. Um, there are still some coaches who have some warts. There are still some coaches who are perennial playoff coaches, um, I'm going to take one. I'm sure this is going to cause a discussion. Uh, I'm going to take Brian Kelly. Hmm. Why? Because he's won at, well, at least two, if not three or more levels, if you want to say that. I mean, a Division two national championships, um, one at Central Michigan, went undefeated at Cincinnati and has, you know, been a not a not an every year playoff team uh, program at Notre Dame. But, you know, top 12 finishes, five of the last six years, two top five finishes um, and just longevity and and having repeated success over a period of time, as opposed to some of the other guys who I'm sure are going to get taken right after me, who are uh, it's a much more recent version of success. And you could argue still a more inherited level of success. So you are going by not just how good you think they are, but how much they have done. Because like, I'm, both, yeah. I'm not like, if I think a coach who's been a coach for four years is a better head coach than Brian Kelly, then I don't care that Brian Kelly's done it longer. Right. Like you care a little bit. I care a little bit. I just don't know how much of a, a separation I see in, as uh, in Brian Kelly's a head coach from maybe some of the next two, three guys on this list. So, Steven, did you have Brian Kelly in this discussion at three? Not at three. And I think with him, it's I don't I think he's at his ceiling. It's every so often his team is going to make the playoff because he's at Notre Dame right now. But I don't ever I don't look at him and think he's going to win a national title. And there are some other guys where I think they might, you know, break through that ceiling and win a national title. So let me ask this. He is, I think, the beneficiary of Charlie Weiss being bad, of Tyrone Willingham being pretty bad, of the end of Bob Davey, eh, most of Bob Davey, being pretty bad or average, and that they have not been Notre Dame, 
right? They have not been like Notre Dame, Notre Dame, compete to be the best team in the country, honestly. I mean, I know they played the national title game in 12 and that they've been in the playoff, right? But most of the time when they get to the playoff or they get to the national title game, it's like they get there and they're like, oh yeah, they're not as good. Mm -hmm. Like it's pretty clear. They are not in the conversation of the best team in the country. The last time they were was 88, right? With Lou Holtz. Lou Holtz finishes, they finished number one in 88. They finished number two in 89. So that was like, and that was after Jerry Faust. And then, you know, now we're back into Dan Devine, Eric Parsegian and stuff. Are we sure that Brian Kelly still somehow isn't underachieving a little bit? And I guess the question is what you think in the modern era, Notre Dame should be able to be. Because if you think that Notre Dame has the tradition and the resources and the whole world is their recruiting ground, they have no local recruiting ground because they can go anywhere. They can literally go into any high school in the country. And if they walk in and say, we're Notre Dame, somebody lifts their head up. And that does not apply to very many schools. So it's like, okay, well, you don't have the backyard, but you have an estate. So like you have like a bunch of acres. It's a lot to mow, frankly. It's a lot to mow. People underestimate the mowing, Brian Kelly. But I think that a a better, not a lot better, that a 20% better head coach could make Notre Dame one of the three best programs in the country. Why should Notre Dame not be Ohio State? I don't know, right? If Urban Meyer went to Notre Dame, wouldn't that be what they are? Like, I think, I think as good, and you know, again, let's talk about what they've done. AP poll finishes 5, 12, 5, 11. They went four and eight in 2016, 11, not in it, 20 and four. So he's been in the top, he's finished in the top 10 three times in a decade. I, I would not think about Brian Kelly at all this high. And Nathan, what would your response be to the idea of, Frankly, maybe Notre Dame should be a little better. Uh, I think you can probably argue that. I think you can, <clears throat> excuse me. I think to some extent you're going to make a, a version of that argument to a lot of the coaches that you would be picking after these top two, though. And I don't want to go into those specific coaches. We'll have those discussions when we talk about those coaches. But, and, and it's also, I mean, let's be, this came down to, for me, Brian Kelly or Ryan Day. So just based on what I've seen from them in their careers, do am I really that much more confident that Ryan Day would win a national championship at Notre Dame before Brian Kelly could win one at Ohio state. Let's not pretend that there isn't a, a, that, you know, that, that Ryan day didn't benefit from what urban Meyer did at Ohio state and the infrastructure that was set up here that he inherited and that that hasn't played into what he's done in these two years, which deserves, again, it was either him or Brian Kelly. So I'm not slamming Ryan day as a coach, but as far as which one, what I thought was kind of also following this exercise, like which one are you taking to like, you know, build something for the future? I just feel like Brian Kelly does have a, a track record of, of being able to be consistently successful and then have those peaks that get you into the, the playoff conversation. He's done it in multiple places. Uh, I'd rather have uh, – uh. There are other guys that could have gone here too. Like the, I also disagree with the premise that it's like Kelly or day here because there's at least two other for my, for my pick. Yeah. Anyway. There's a, there's at least two other guys that you could throw in. I think at this level, um, I will be curious how much we lean sort of toward the offensive ingenuity quarterback guru, 
explosion of modern offenses. I want to go play for that guy's offense. It helps you in recruiting. It makes you feel cool kind of coach. And I don't think Brian Kelly is that. Um, now, maybe we're maybe there's too much sizzle, Nathan, that maybe we get too excited about the quarterback guru type dudes. But, I mean, honestly, like, who's the last great – who's the best quarterback Brian Kelly's had? Yeah, I don't know. Probably Ian Book. Yeah. Like, Ian yeah. Book, like, Brandon Winbush, Deshaun Kaiser. Like, it's Notre Dame, man. Like, you can't get a quarterback. You can't get J.J. McCarthy to go to Notre Dame. Like, what's happening? Like, why Why are they not doing that, right? I don't – I like, they, they can they, – they, they're like the AP. They cover the world. So, I don't I, – there's a – actually, there's a lot of it. I would not have gone to Brian Kelly for a while. I don't have an official list because I didn't – I didn't do my homework, but I'm going to participate in the class discussion and try to get extra points through that. So I don't have him. I, I can't say like, oh, I had him eight, but I feel like I would say, oh, I had him eight because I, I just am not here. But I think it's interesting. And I will tell you, he's seventh with the texters. He is at 9.11. And there are at least... There's at least like two veteran coaches that I think if you put them at Notre Dame would be better. And I think there's three younger coaches that I think if you put them at Notre Dame right now could be better than Brian Kelly is. So we will have their discussions. We're going to have to constantly do this. Thank you for saying that, Nathan. We'll discuss those coaches when it's time to discuss those coaches. We don't want to have a lot of preemptive. Oh, I think, you know, Ken Namatololo is better than Brian Kelly. It's like, well, save it for Ken. Save it when we talk about Ken. All right, Stephen, you're up at number four. In the coach draft. Yeah, for what it's worth, I had Brian Kelly seventh on my list as well. Um, you kind of segued me into why I was going to pick Ryan Day. I think I, now that we've got the two legends out the way and and Nathan's made his pick, I think you it's time to start going for those quarterback gurus, offensive engines who you know they're going to get the quarterbacks, you know they're going to get the receivers. And Ryan Day is just the best of that right now. I understand he's 23-2, and two and there's a lot to be shown still on the field. But, I mean, he's been in the playoff two years in a row, and he got to the national championship game in year two. So that counts. And it's no longer the – the Urban Meyer effect has gone away, um, which is why this is a perfect place for him. He didn't need to be a first-rounder because then you're, you're taking him too high. Second round is a good spot to take him. Why? Wait, 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 wait. I'm going to interrupt you. Why wouldn't you – would you have picked Ryan Day third or not? No, he wouldn't have been third for me. Okay. No. Well, wait a second. If, if so, so then who do you have third? You have somebody, you don't have Brian Kelly third. So now you're taking Ryan day higher than somebody you have on your list. I don't. I or thought, have, I thought, well, I, who do I have on, on third right now? Yeah. I have, Jimbo. Have, thir- I have Jimbo Fisher because he's won a national and title. He's available and you're not taking him. No, not at this point. I'm going to take Ryan day. Cause now so you have who, where's Ryan day on your list. Fourth. So Jimbo's available and you're not taking him. No, I'm going to take Ryan Day now because Ryan Day's not going to be here next time I get here. No, see, that's not what we're doing. That's not what we're doing. That's not the intent of this. So you're, you're allowed to go away from your list, but it, we're not collecting. We're trying to make a list. So don't take a guy higher just because he's not going to be the next time around you get him. It's not, a, it's not an actual fantasy draft. We're not actually going to count up points and everything. So you think Jimbo Fisher's a better coach than Ryan Day? But you're taking Ryan Day. Yeah. Now I've 
Also, yes, as we've sitting here having this discussion, I am now taking Ryan Day because of the quarterback situation here. I mean, he's got Quinn Ewers. He's got two top 100 guys. He's got Kyle McCord. Recruit, the recruiting is ridiculous right now. And so as we've been sitting here having this discussion, but also the quarterback element of this, I'm going to now take Ryan Day. Do you agree, Nathan, with the idea of that, like, Ryan Day is now standing on his own two feet? And I guess that's a hard question because it's like, well, okay, starting now, if you say, well, now he's standing on his own two feet, but what we're judging him on is the past where he wasn't only standing on his own two feet. But I guess we have to parse it a little bit, right? That it's like, okay, if he inherited some good stuff, but is everything from year three on all Ryan Day that we will not, we'll say, oh, you know, Urban gave him a good start and helped him, you know, only lose, you know, make the playoff twice. But then after that, it's all him. Is that fair or is there still remnants or, or was year two all Ryan Day? I mean, you certainly there are remnants. I mean, certainly he, he, he did inherit an infrastructure from Urban Meyer. Like you can't dispute that. And it's still here. It's still intact on, in almost um, entirely. But there comes a point, though, at which you have to stop um, holding that over his head as far as the scrutiny that you hold of his achievements. And again, it was a really tough call for me at, at number three. And ultimately, I think Day in some circles, because there's some other lists out there to have him much lower than third or fourth. And I think it gets held too much against him how how much he inherited from from Urban Meyer, because again, you, you went out and you got to the playoff two years in a row. You won your conference with an undefeated record two years in a row, although the second year was obviously a weird year, but you still were the dominant team in the big 10. You went and thumped the team in the playoffs. You barely lost another game in the playoffs and you were right there to the last play of the game. I mean, this, this program has achieved at the very level top level of sport. And and, and from the moment of the handoff, I mean, they really, it seemed pretty seamless. And I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. So for, he would have been the easy choice for me. I think if I, if, if for some reason I couldn't have had him at number three, or if I had been, if this had been a snake draft, that would have been my three, four, Brian day would have been my second guy. I would take Ryan day ahead of Brian Kelly. I will hear other arguments for other guys, but I think it's possible that Ryan day is actually third. Like I, I, I really do think that that is a very reasonable pick. I, I, there wouldn't be anybody that I would say, Oh, you've got to have that guy at a Ryan day. Right. And we'll get to all these kind of guys here because I do think the quarterback thing in the era and the offense thing in the era and how that has played into recruiting. If Ryan day was, had taken over at a school that didn't have a great head coach ahead of it, or didn't have a great tradition. I'm trying to think of an example, like, like a good solid program, but not Ohio state. after Oklahoma Meyer, right? probably a good, well, but, Lincoln Riley after Stoops got handed a very yeah, similar kind of thing. I mean, even Friday's taking over Texas right now, right? Texas that's A&M. So oh. I think like his first two years would not be as good because you inherit stuff. You've got to get talent in, right? And his record wouldn't be as good and he would not be as high on this list, on anybody's list, right? Because his record wouldn't be as good. But I do think it's it's possible that the offensive ingenuity would have shown some things. I think that offensive ingenuity could have led, probably would have led to some recruiting success. And now in year three, 
after going seven and five and whatever, eight and two, people would be like, look, maybe Ryan Day is ready to break out, but he'd be like eighth on our list. But I think he might now actually be at the same point that he's at at Ohio State, which is good players, good recruiting, good offense. It's his deal. He just got a running start, right? But you can't separate it, but I think I would have picked day third. I mean, I, I don't know that anybody else would have made me pull the trigger ahead of him because everybody else has kind of similar question marks, I think. So, but, but I hear what you're saying, but like wherever he had gone, Texas A&M, wherever he would instead have taken over, would he have had the Ohio State recruiting machine to help him get that program in place for the third year? I think that is a factor here. And again, I, I, I'm, I'm giving Ryan Day all the credit and role for what he did these two years. But as far as like who I'm trying to like bet on long term, there's still enough of that as far as just putting him on an island with a brand new program and having him be the guy who then has to go assemble that team and put it together and take it to the next level. You know what I mean? Put together that infrastructure. That's I, I it's a different conversation. He would have had it at Texas. I mean, cause Steve Sarkeesian has it right now where he's showing that with how they're recruiting. I do think with, uh, as I mentioned earlier, there's going to be a lot of guys on this list where we kind of look at them as if they had everything they needed, how successful would they be? You don't have to do that exercise as Ryan day. Cause he just got it. And we're seeing, okay, exactly what a pro if everything was healthy and running smoothly and at its peak, what would Ryan Day be as a head coach, a national championship contending head coach? And uh, he's the but one guy that you don't have to play the game with. Steve Sarkeesian is doing that at Texas right now, having already been a head coach in the past. Right. And someone who now has a lot of these credentials of being someone who um, people look at as like, oh, this seems like it could be a very, very successful turn, but obviously had some issues at his first place. And so, again, when it's when it is still so – new for someone that does give me pause as far as how high to put them on a list like this. So I do think that the thing that's hard is that I think like if you're, I do think Ryan day who like never came to Ohio state is a very different guy. Right. Mm -hmm. But that Ryan day doesn't exist. You can wit up. What if yourself into oblivion? And it's like, we're what ifing ourselves? I think to some degree, but you don't want to go too far with it because he did come to Ohio state. So if he didn't take over for urban, if urban just stayed Right. No Zach Smith, no brain cyst. Urban's just here. Ryan Day would be gone by now. Ryan Day would be a head coach somewhere. Ryan Day might be the head coach of Texas right now, right? But Ryan Day, wherever he would have gone, would have taken the knowledge of the recruiting system that Ohio State uses and taken that with him. Just like Chris Ash and Tom Herman took it and like didn't do that well with it, right? So... Part of it is Mark Pantone. Part of it is the way Mark Pantone does business. And Ryan Day would have absorbed that and taken it with him and found his Pantone, right? So to some degree, like you can't, it's like, well, are you stealing that from Urban? It's like, well, every assistant steals from every head coach. Like Urban Myers stole some stuff from Lou Holtz, you know? So it's like, well, what is yours and what is not, right? I, that, that's just part of who Ryan Day is now as a coach and will always be even when Mark Bantoni and Mickey Marotti are gone. So he would have taken that. So I think that knowledge matters, but I don't want to act like he gets no credit for that because he inherited it because he would have made his own version of that if he had taken the head job at Mississippi State or somewhere else. And he's also a really good recruiter, kind of underrated as a recruiter. I mean, Garrett Wilson, that's all him. Harry Miller, his mother, that's all Ryan Day. He was thinking about Michigan. He played a role in Jaden Ballard's commitment. 
they didn't send Greg Shijawa to go get Enoch Mahi. They sent Ryan Day on a flight flight to Hawaii to go talk to him. So it's yeah, the 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 un, the, the ability to recruit was already there, and then you soak up all that information that you would have been learning from Pantone and Urban Meyer. Yeah, I think you'd have been fine. I agree with what you're saying, but I I just want to introduce that it's there's a difference between borrowing philosophy and then actually having the machine set up there in front of you. There's a difference between having the blueprint to the machine and then having it already built for you. It's like, you know, do you want to go to Ikea and get the box or do you want to have some, do you want to just move into a house where the bookshelf is already built? Yeah, you're right. There is, I mean, he got a head start, but at some point, you know, if you don't do what you're supposed to do, everybody else is going to catch up even if you had a head start or not. And that hasn't happened. Let's talk Ikea bookshelves for five minutes. here. (laughs) So listen, so you say, hey, I need to put my book somewhere. And if someone gives you an an Ikea bookshelf, you can put your books on it right away. Or if someone says, you say, hey, I really like your bookshelf where you get it. Where'd you get it? They say, we got, I got it at Ikea. And then you order it and it comes and it's in a box, as you said. And then you have to put it together. And then it's just a question of how good are you at putting it together? Because if you follow the directions, it's going to be as good as the first bookshelf. And you might, it'll be a little newer. You might even put a little of your, you might put some sparkles on it, right? You can make it yours as you build it. Or maybe you are not very good at building the bookshelf. You're not good at following directions. You're just good at using somebody else's bookshelf. And if they would have given you the bookshelf, you could have used it. Because you know how to use a bookshelf. You just put the spines out, try to have all, you know, don't have the books upside down. But you're not a good builder. I think Ohio State, we saw some other coaches, Tom Herman, Chris Ash, go out, order their Ikea bookshelf, and then they didn't know how to put it together, right? Ryan Day just got handed the bookshelf. He didn't have to put it together. But I also don't think it's too much of an assumption to say, you know what? I think he could have put it together. And I think he would have been better at putting it together than those other guys were. And Gene Smith would tell you, yes, we did give him the bookshelf. But the reason we gave him the bookshelf is because we believe he definitely can put a bookshelf together. So I I understand the point of getting the bookshelf, but I don't think you want to take away too much credit for your ability to build a bookshelf that you didn't have to build. I also agree with everything you're saying. I agree with everything you're saying. I'm just saying if Ryan Day had gone to Illinois, I don't know how long it would have taken him to A, build the bookshelf, B, how sturdy it would have been, and C, at what point you would have been able to put a trophy on top of it. That was a great way to wrap that up. No, I'm not done. Nice nice job wrapping it up. Too bad. (laughs) No, I already did the hand wave. I already did the thing. I did the one, two, three. I did thumb thumb one, index (laughs) finger two. Middle finger three. That's one, two, three, and we're but done. It was just putting the trophy on top, put it back in football perspective. But go ahead, Doug. Yeah, but but also, like, I really do think he – I mean, honestly, Nathan, he would have put it together. Don't you – aren't you pretty certain he would have put it together? Of course. Any bookshelf takes it longer to put together than it takes to have it handed to you. But, you know, I don't. it wouldn't have taken forever. You know, it would have taken the recommended allotment. So I, I, it, I think we're on the same page here. And I think you don't want to make too many assumptions when you get handed a bookshelf, but you don't want to take away too much credit. 
Agreed. Yep. He, he's done a great job of taking care of the bookshelf. You know, he doesn't let it get dusty. He's not putting too much stuff on it that shouldn't belong there. His kids aren't hanging all over it. That, that's got to matter. And do you know how many coaches there are in the world when someone gives them a bookshelf and then like a week later, someone comes to the house and they're like, hey, where's that bookshelf I gave you? And they're like, oh, yep. yeah, I, I lost it. Yep. I left it outside <laughs> and it rained on it. And no, it's, it's all it's, warped. It's an ashen pile outside. I set it on fire as soon as I got it. Do you know how many bookshelves there were on curbs in Piscataway, New Jersey, when Chris Ash got fired? Bookshelves as far as the eye could see. They had to bring in extra trash guys that day to get all the bookshelves because he got handed some. He tried to build it. He ordered a different one and tried to build that. He called Urban Meyer on the phone and said, hey, man, I'm at step six. Where does slot A go into screw C? And Urban was like, I don't have time for this. And then he hung up and he cried and he ordered pizza. Uh, it's uh, And I say actually, this as a person who's, who could not build a bookshelf. Chris Ash actually had the players come in and haul away the bookshelves and charge them for yeah. the privilege. Or you could do what Tom Herman did and you use the bookshelf while you're at Houston and then you move into a bigger house and think you've got it all figured out and throw that bookshelf out and go buy a new one. And now you don't know what you're doing because you were never listening where your dad told you how to put the bookcase together. And everybody's like, hey, Mensa guy, how come you yeah. can't build a bookshelf? And then Zach Smith comes over <laughs> and like takes a hammer and smashes your bookshelf. He I'm glad to I introduced this analogy so it could just be the bookshelf on which we built the rest, stacked the rest of this podcast. I feel like this is a this is like a Malcolm Gladwell thing now. It's like uh, building bookshelves, what it tells us about society. Like some of us are builders. Some of us get handed a bookshelf. All right. I don't even read books. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what do I-, I have a bookshelf in my background right now. Yeah. I just have a bunch of bobbleheads on it. I don't even know. All right. Number five is to me, and we'll do it right after this on Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means back on Buckeye Talk. I'm at pick number five in our coach draft. To recap, we've four picks in 50 minutes. Dabo one, Saban two, Brian Kelly three, Ryan Day four. I am going to pick the guy that Stephen just mentioned because I am not going – with a young guy and there is a national championship coach out there and he has proven himself at two different places now. And that matters a lot, I think. And I think he's just starting to get it going at place number two. And it's Jimbo Fisher at Texas a and I was nuts when them said like, we'll give you four gazillion dollars to leave Florida state and Florida state really did dip at the end, but he did win a national title there. And he, you're right. I mean, he was handed one of the great, I mean, it was his was like it was an old oak bookshelf. It wasn't an Ikea bookshelf. It was a bookshelf like carved out of an old oak tree by Bobby Bowden. And then he kept it rolling and he won a national title uh, in year four at Florida State and followed it up with the playoff appearance the next year. I mean, like he was really good at Florida State. And then it got a little goofy at the end. He wanted a change of scenery. I don't know what happened with the boosters or whatever. And he's at Texas A&M and they were like right in the playoff discussion last year and finish fourth in the final AP poll. So yes, there are some younger, hotter guys out there. He is like kind of in that middle class. I mean, he's, you know, he's getting up there. He's 55, but you know, he's 14 years younger than Nick Saban. Right. And he's done a lot, including winning a national title. And again, 
I think if you put Jimbo Fisher at Notre Dame, he would be significantly better at Notre Dame than Brian Kelly is. He's been at two powerhouse programs. Yeah, they're in the South. He had advantages there. Maybe the prims he's at are similar to Notre Dame, but Brian Kelly doesn't have a national title. So I think Jimbo is a really good kind of like in that middle-class coach, not about to retire, not younger than one of the young whippersnappers, and I'll take him fifth. What it's worth, uh, Jimbo, and it's not like it was a – that was a flip of the coin for me. It could have gone either way. Jimbo was third, Ryan Day was fourth, but I could have easily flipped that. I I think for me what it came down to – yeah, Jimbo Fisher is obviously a great pick here – is what I think the future might hold, whose ceiling might be higher. And Jimbo Fisher obviously has a high ceiling. It's just Ryan Day's might actually be higher. Yeah, Fisher was actually sixth on my list, and that's who I thought I was going to take with my next pick, uh, but I'll settle for my number five guy. I think it's close, and I, I agree. I thought I might be somebody who was maybe arguing to put him higher on this list than other people were, just because I think because of the way things have gone at Texas A&M, where until this year they've been kind of more fine, you know, nine wins, eight wins, um, but obviously bounced back pretty strong last year. And you, you can't overlook the national championship. And he, he went and got the quarterback that made that happen in a way that, for instance, Brian Kelly, as you pointed out, has not done at Notre Dame. So um, I, I, a strong pick. And I do, um, you know, Texas A&M, again, the point of like, how is it left? It's like they were not left in great shape after Kevin Sumlin, right? I mean, like they had some issues. So Jimbo had to take a couple of years to get it going. And now I think, they're going to get it going. And also, like, he's, it's not very easy to get it going in the SEC where he's trying to do it, right? So, I mean, he's going to be banging his head uh, in that conference for a while, but he already, like, kind of broke through in his own way a little bit. So, you know, they didn't beat Bama last year, but they still found a way to be in the playoff discussion despite not beating Bama, which is pretty good. Especially also, in that division. I mean, he's got Alabama and LSU coming off the season they came off of. And Auburn, they have their moments when they peak out. That's a lot to have to fight through. I would say, and also, what has Florida State done since he left? Like, that's another place yeah. that, that is problem. definitely an underachieving place. And um, they have not been able to build on what, you know, I guess people would argue, I mean, he went five and six his last year, so maybe the downturn started under him, I suppose you could argue, but um, they have not nearly bounced back to where they should be under him. It's been a mess. All right. That's number five. I'm curious when we get to our uh, our second Big Ten coach. I wonder when that will be. Nathan Baird, you're up with pick six. I'll take Lincoln Riley here. I feel like to not take him might be overthinking things a little bit. He's – I think almost everything you would say about Ryan Day applies to him except – that I think Ryan day inherited a better team in his first year than Riley has ever coached arguably. And that, that infrastructure under Meyer was uh, arguably just a better infrastructure than what Oklahoma had. Although Oklahoma had obviously a great program too, but I mean, just the consistency that's been there. If you're talking about developing quarterbacks, they've developed quarterbacks consistently there last year was the big drop off all the way down to nine and two, and, you know, going six and two in the big 12, so if that's like your plummet and you're still considered a top six program by and large, and you're right there on the cusp of being able to, to get back in the playoff conversation. I mean, they couldn't because of the two losses, but, but I mean, they weren't that far out of it. Um, I, you know, he's done a lot of the same things that Ryan day has done. And so if we're going to consider Ryan day that high, I don't think there's, it, it's certainly not a stretch to say that Lincoln Riley is, is 
right there on the cusp too. He inherited Heisman Trophy Baker Mayfield. And in his first year, they lost in double overtime in the playoff semifinals to Georgia and should have won that game. So he actually inherited more than Ryan Day. I would say the program, the structure. Well, what do you mean? Well, he inherited the guy who who won the Heisman, who was like who he had nurtured and was a third year starter at quarterback. But Ryan Day also was, had I mean, and Ryan Day played a part in bringing in Justin Fields, obviously, but he started his career with a Heisman Trophy caliber quarterback who was a Heisman Trophy finalist. And he started with started a game and with a Heisman Mayfield finalist a on defense starter. and another top five defensive player on defense. And a, a, I, I don't know. I, that's fine. I, I, I hear what you're saying. I mean, he at least as good, at least okay, as good. Fine. You the said expect, it wasn't as good. Yeah, it's the expectation good. for Baker Mayfield going into Lincoln Riley's first season was higher than the expectation for Justin Fields going into Ryan Day's first season. You know you're what saying they both have... They both inherited a great team and both arguably lost a semifinal they should have won, is what you're saying. They, I guarantee you, no ding-dong Oklahoma writers in Lincoln Riley's first year said they would go 9-3. and three. That I guarantee uh, I would say that Ryan Day inherited. I don't think that's a joke. Never mind. Go ahead. Because it just wouldn't have made sense. Not with Baker. Not with the guys they had back. Right. Right. I think. I think individually, because the thing is, Ryan Day had to go get his quarterback. Ryan Day had to get yeah. Justin Fields. He did not. There was no part of inheritance with Justin Fields. He inherited Tate Martell and Matthew Baldwin. So, like, if we're talking about what you were left, Baker Mayfield. To Matthew Baldwin, although both played at Lake Travis High School, not a competition. And Tate Martell versus Baker Mayfield, not a competition. Well, but, but didn't Riley have some part in Mayfield being at Oklahoma? What, in the first that's place? not what we're talking about. We're talking about what is there when you become the head coach. You're inheriting it. So he he w- took over as the head coach with a third year starting quarterback. Uh, that's a semantic argument between when you when you recruited the guy or not, whether it's when you were the offensive coordinator or the head coach, but it's a continuous tenure. They both started anyway. Go ahead. Which is no, why Lincoln, I, which is why Lincoln Riley's is is was handed more. That pays more into that. No, there's there's what you get as the head coach because listen, whether you whether you if you have a business with your parents and you help your parents business, but it's their business, it's their business. And then you inherit the business. It's not your business while it's not your business. So it wasn't Lincoln Riley's team. Yes. He helped Baker Mayfield come there, I guess. And he helped tutor him. But when they said, Hey, Lincoln Riley, you're the head coach starting tomorrow. And he was like, Oh man, who's my quarterback. And they, he was like, oh, my quarterback's Baker Mayfield in year three. And when they said, Ryan Day, you're the head coach tomorrow. And Ryan Day was like, who's my quarterback? And Ryan Day was like, well, I guess it's Tate Martell or Matthew Baldwin. Unless as the head coach, I go do something about it. I think that is, I don't care. Because as an assistant, it's like, all right, well, Ryan Day like recruited Chris Olave when he was an assistant. But like he inherited Chris Olave as the head coach. But he also inherited all the guys that he didn't personally recruit mm-hmm. as an assistant. So I think it's about what's in place in the program. So I would say this. I think Ryan Day inherited a better program. Bob Stoops doesn't have a structure like this that like Ryan Day had. But I think Ryan, I think Lincoln Riley inherited a better team that year with that. He didn't have to go 
add at key positions because it was sort of all there, ready to go. Um, and everybody knew Oklahoma was going to be good that year. And everybody was like, oh, man, now maybe they won't be as good because they have a new coach. It's like, oh, no, they're better with the new coach. But everybody knew they would be good. But to your point, Nathan, I don't know who the Mark Pantone and Mickey Marotti of Oklahoma are, but I bet they're not as good as the Mickey Marotti and Mark Pantone of Ohio State. Well, I think if they were, then we wouldn't be talking every year about how Oklahoma's defense is subpar compared to what the rest of that program is and what the rest of um, the playoff programs are. So I think that's that's why he goes lower on this list to me still than Ryan Day. Part of it is because I just feel like, you know, Ryan Day has, I think, extended what was going on under Urban Meyer and Lincoln Riley still building towards that level. I do think Lincoln Riley improved on Bob Stoops, though. I think Bob Stoops is like urban light, but like kind of significantly light, right? That if we were having this conversation back when Urban Meyer and Bob Stoops were head coaches, it would have been like, okay, well, who's one? I Saban's one, Urban's two. And then Bob Stoops, he had a national title, but Bob Stoops would have been like seven, right? Mm -hmm. Five. He wouldn't have been in the fight with Urban to be two. So I do think Lincoln Riley has improved on Bob Stoops, but it just so happened for a quarterback guy to have Baker Mayfield sitting there, I think was kind of a huge deal. And he also had some dudes around him too. So Steven, does Lincoln Riley here at six feel right to you? It sits well. It's, it's not elite, but you know, he can get there. I think the second round is quite where I thought he would be. Fifth, sixth pick. I, and, I, and he was six on my list just for the sake of it. And I don't think he would really go any lower, Nathan. I think you're right. I mean, I think I think you could make an argument. If you want to make an argument over Kelly or Jimbo, I think you could. I think you could. Lincoln Riley, fourth on the texter list at 5.26. Brian Kelly, seventh on the texter list. And Jimbo Fisher, tenth on the texter list. So, um, you know, Lincoln Riley, gets his name gets thrown out a lot. So I'm not surprised the texters voted him higher but very well-respected and maybe haven't seen the best of him yet. That's certainly very possible too. All right, let's go to the third round. Steven Means, pick number seven. Kirby Smart, even though, I mean, he's over underachieving on the field. Obviously, they've only gotten the one playoff and they got to the national championship that year. But, I mean, the recruiting is what it is there. And, yes, you're in a hotbed where you can do it, but you're maximizing on that every single year. And as drastic as the mistake is, it, it, yes, it's a drastic mistake. The only real mistake he's made is not picking Justin Fields over Jake Fromm, which in the moment probably wasn't as crazy as it is in hindsight. No, I don't think it was an absolute mistake in the choice in the moment. Mm-hmm. The results would show that it was a mistake and that they just caught, got caught in between. And it's like the cautionary tale of too many good quarterbacks and picking the wrong guy. If he had picked Justin Fields and they had won a national title last year with that awesome defense and Justin Fields, he'd be three he'd probably be three. Yeah, he'd probably be three. So I think that quarterback decision and your the belief that you know Justin would have done a lot for them uh, moved him down several spots here. Nathan, what do you think of uh, Kirby Smart at seven? Yeah, I mean it's right in that neighborhood of where I have him on my list, and you know. It, there really aren't that many guys who have gotten a team to a championship game and had them in position to win a championship game. I mean, once you take out all the times that Saban and and Sweeney have gone and you take out Ohio state and Oklahoma's semifinal and now a couple now for Notre Dame, I mean, it's a pretty short list after those like five teams and he's one of those guys. And I think we go into every year expecting that Georgia will, if, if they're not a favorite to get to the playoffs, then they're at least a, 
strong contender to get there because I think that people expect there to always be talent at the skill positions and this to always be a, a defense with a high floor. So I, I have a lot of respect for Kirby Smart. I kind of just feels like one of those places where it's almost inevitable that they might put it together one of these years. Um, but I think there's also some warts there. There's also reasons to criticize a couple of decisions that were made that might have held them back from getting there already. And he's a great spot, right? I mean, like Mark Richt kind of was solid, but not great at Georgia for a long time. Georgia should be great. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you were just lining up like programs and said, like, let's look at everything that programs have and decide who should be great. Maybe that's another podcast. <laughs> said, Why am I saying it in this podcast? Who's under Georgia's in the top five. Yeah. You know, it's like, I think maybe actually you get Texas in there ahead of Georgia. And like, certainly they haven't been as good of a program, but you'll stuff. But like Georgia's pretty high, right? Like the Georgia's not really lacking anything in terms of facilities, recruiting ground history. They're in the opposite division from Alabama. So that helps. Like uh, there's a lot that Kirby Smart has working for him. I think that is a good so, podcast to be like, uh, where, where would you want to go coach? Where do you feel like is the most like, fertile place the place where someone could go there and if they really hit it right would just be dominant beyond belief almost like a, would it be like a minecraft thing or like a sims thing of like if you were building something right that like and it was like well what do we know and you would list like the like the top the number of like top 300 national recruits in your recruiting ground how many national titles you've won your athletic department budget, your facilities, right? Your stadium, your football headquarters, all that kind of thing. The conference you're in, your rivals, and just say, okay, so these are all the factors. Now go pick where you would want to coach because you think you have the best chance of winning. Right. I don't, if we think Ohio state is one of the three best programs in the country, I don't think Ohio state would be one of the top three answers to that honestly it'd be pretty high i don't think they'd be top three though that's an interesting uh, podcast 100 if we just rank the programs on if everybody was healthy who would be the top 25 teams in the country i think that's an interesting pod yeah season. and gave them all just like a good coach what would happen yeah. um all right i am gonna make i think the first real well if you put this guy at a more big time program, what would happen? Pick. And I think you guys probably know who I'm going to pick. Who do you think I'm going to pick based on that? It's Gerald. It's the next guy on my list. I think. Yeah. Yeah. He's the so I think it's time for him. And like I, he's eighth here. I would hear arguments maybe for higher. Cause honestly, like I, I, and then, but then you have to, what if so much, it's like, if you just gave Pat Fitzgerald, Georgia, would he be worse than Kirby Smart? I don't know. Like, would, if you gave Kirby Smart Northwestern, would Kirby Smart do as well at Northwestern as Pat Fitzgerald? Now, Pat Fitzgerald and Northwestern are probably the best fit of school and coach in the country, right? Because being an alum is a big deal, but you understand the program. It's a very specific kind of program that has to recruit and win in a certain way. And he, like, absolutely embodies it. So, I don't think like, I'm not even sure Ryan day would be as good as Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern. Right. And would Pat Fitzgerald be as good as Ryan day at Ohio state? Probably not, but he might be closer 
today at Ohio State than Day would be to Fitzgerald at Northwestern, if you get that, right? If that makes sense. Now, that's not the way mm-hmm. we that's not what I'm picking on, but you guys know I like him. I think Michigan should try to hire him. Everybody officially says now like he would never leave for another college job. The only job he would ever leave for is the Chicago Bears. He might just be a long-term guy there. And Northwestern should not be this good. There is no way that Northwestern should have won two out of the last three division titles in any Power Five conference with the way things work. But if they keep doing this, then they're going to be, Northwestern's going to be like the Stanford was, where Stanford's like a borderline national title contender. And like, you just stop thinking of them that way or whatever, right? It's just a different deal. Or Duke basketball, that's not too high of a bar. That's what he's approaching. I do think they'll keep it going. And it's because of him. Like it's, it's like all because of him. If you, if you guys put Dabo number one, because of what he did at a school, Pat Fitzgerald, what he does at this school, I have him eight. And it sounds like you guys both agree. Yeah. I had him at seven and uh, you mentioned kind of that basketball analogy. And like, I have so much respect for someone like Mark few to have done what he's done at Gonzaga now um, I know that they fell short last night, but like, I mean, to getting Gonzaga to two national championship games in four years and having almost an undefeated season, like those sorts of things, we always think of coaches at that level only in the terms of well, what's wrong with this guy. Why isn't he gone to somewhere bigger and won a national championship? And if you can stay there, do what he's done, do what Brad Stevens has done, do what coach K did to Duke. I think that I have more respect for that in the long run than guys who bounce around chasing trophies. And I think of Pat Fitzgerald as a lesser version of that, because obviously I don't know that I – I think I'm less optimistic than you are about the chances of, like, national success. Like, Northwestern being, like, a top five program even for a year, like a top five team. I don't know if I think that's attainable for them. I think Stanford has some advantages geographically and things like that that Northwestern doesn't have, um, though I guess you could argue that the Big Ten is an advantage over the Pac-12 maybe. But I, I just – I don't know if I see that. But clearly, again, kind of what you're alluding to, what he's done there, nobody gets more out of his program, I think, in a given year um, or over just year to year than Pat Fitzgerald does. Eighth on my list, so it makes sense that he's the eighth pick here. I I just, yeah, I think Nathan's right. I think you're right as well, Doug. I think he is overachieving while some of the guys we're going to be naming here coming up soon, they might just be peaking and their peak might just not – might not even be that impressive while everything he's done at Northwestern over the past decade is impressive. Is there any dispute? And and again, we don't want to get too much in the guys we haven't talked about yet. This is the, he's the second big 10 coach off the board. Like, does that obviously you guys had him here, but like, do you think most people would, I know. And there were, there's going to be a guy that we got to the athletic did a list. That's fine. We can say the athletic did a list. I didn't like their list, but it's not why we're doing it. We're doing a draft. There are other places that places where I think you would find a different big 10 coach in this spot. If Ryan day is one, but I think Fitzgerald is pretty clear. And if you wanted to try to make the urban Meyer left him a bookshelf argument and wanted to put Fitzgerald one, I think you'd have to, hear the argument, Nathan, right? Again, it's, but, but Pat Fitzgerald didn't get left anything. I mean, Randy Walker had done a good program. Randy Walker had built a very solid Northwestern program. And then his tragic death, that's just threw Pat Fitzgerald in as a head coach long, far earlier than anybody would have expected. Yeah. I, I think you could, you could argue for 
Fitzgerald to be number one among Big Ten coaches, right? I mean, I think that's that's a plausible thing you could argue. I, I wouldn't I, I would still put Ryan Day first, but I mean I think you could make that argument for Pat Fitzgerald because again, I don't think people look at when 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 some of these other guys we're about to talk about, um, I, I think they feel like maybe this isn't fair, but like that they have maybe plateaued a little bit as far as what they can accomplish as coaches. Whereas Fitzgerald almost is still trying to break through some of those, like, what do you want to say? Like those hindrances that are just kind of naturally there at Northwestern. And that has to matter when you get to this point in the list, it's, do you feel like there's something left to be desired and there's more that they can accomplish if you give them more resources while with another coach, it may be, they have a pretty decent amount of resources. It's just what they're doing. It's good, but you don't think it's going to get any better than that. It's Gerald sixth for the Texers, maybe because we talked about him a lot on the podcast, but he was higher than Brian Kelly and higher than Jimbo Fisher, which is why he's eighth in our draft and he's sixth on the Texters list. Nathan, you're up at number nine. Tough call here, but I'm going to stay Big Ten, and this is where I'll take James Franklin. I'm going to give um, some extra credit for what he did at Vanderbilt, which was, again, as we're talking about people who go places and succeed where success did not exist before, that's almost like the you know, look that up in the dictionary, and it's, it's James Franklin at Vanderbilt where they were just abysmal, and he made them a, a top 20, top 25 program. Um, and they've still been pretty strong at, at Penn State. I mean, I know last year was a, a bad year, but just a year ago when we were talking about tiers and stuff, we were talking about Penn State being like right outside, you know, outside of that upper, upper tier, but like in that next group of teams that we were talking about and like a team that should plausibly be higher and should be maybe in that national championship conversation more than they are and in Ohio State being kind of a blockade to that to some extent. So I, I think he deserves to be pretty high. I understand why there are people who are going to look and say, well, where's like the breakthrough? Where's like the, the, that great success. And that hasn't been there. There are, there's a national championship coach on here that we haven't been mentioned. And some of the guys who've accomplished a lot that haven't been mentioned, but I, I do believe that his, his track record now is long enough at multiple places that deserves some respect. 14th for the texters. James Franklin is, that seems low. That seems like some of that. I mean, again, like you said, this isn't a completely unbiased poll. Yeah, he's Ohio State's rival, and people kind of think he's a little bit Weasley too. I think just as you think your your rival is kind of Weasley. Wait till you see who's number twenty out of twenty uh, on our texture list. <laughs> uh, That's not surprising at all. <laughs> I think I would have at least two guys ahead of him here, Nathan or Stephen. Where'd you have James Franklin on your list? He is 11th on my list. Um, there's one other Big Ten coach on my list higher than him, and then there's another uh, kind of in the Pat Fitzgerald mold of what happens if you give him an elite program. I, I think I am – whether it's fair or not, I have to hold the last 12 months against him. Not just the, the on-the-field stuff because, yes, you can blame COVID for some of that, but you can't be that bad on the field and then fail at recruiting the way that they did within their own state. That has to matter because – Recruiting is a lifeblood that shows you where your future is. And right now, Penn State's future is at Wisconsin, Ohio State, Clemson, LSU, Pitt, and Florida, and Texas A&M instead of in, in its own uh, practice facility right now. And that has to matter. And I docked him a lot for that. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I think if you also want to say, well, it's probably a blip. It was weird. It was, you know, I think that's fair, too. But this, this year is going to tell you a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Because 
I think this year is going to tell you whether it was a blip or whether it was the beginning of a bad trend for them. So, um, all right, but he was in range for you, Steven, in that range. Yeah. So who's, who's number 10 for you? Number 10 for me is Matt Campbell, who I'm going to pick. I, I think, I mean, his name gets thrown around with every job that comes for the last couple of off seasons here. Offensive guy who fits into the mode of where college football is headed. I, just like Pat Fitzgerald, if you give him the Michigan job, what happens if you give him a job? You know, I, I think it was just time for me to have a guy like to pick a guy like that. He fits perfectly at number 10 as the second best option of if you give him a higher look profile job, what happens? Yeah, that's who I was hoping to get to pick with my next one. Um, again, he's a projection guy like that. I think people keep waiting, but also like they're going to be like really good this year. Mm -hmm. Like they were really good last year. They've they've beaten multiple like big time Big 12 programs in Matt Campbell's tenure. And like they have like almost everybody back. And I'm not so sure that they might aren't like the favorite in the Big 12 this year. So uh, I think he's right in this range. I, I do think also... He's a little bit, I think, of a media darling. Like, he's like yeah. the guy who gets talked about for everything. And he's earned, like, all of it. But I still think it's possible to be qualified, have earned it all, and still be overhyped a little bit. I think I might apply that to him. He is eighth on our texter list. Again, we are picking him here, drafting him at number 10. He's eighth. Nathan, where'd you have Matt Campbell? Yeah, I had him 10th as well. He would have been the next guy I took. Okay, so now I think it gets a little tough here. And I think there is a pretty stark kind of older guy, younger guy decision here. But I had sort of decided that I was just a little more in on this guy, I think, than maybe I expect other people to be. And it is a balance of doing it at different places. Um, he is a national championship coach. And I'm going to take Mac Brown. And I am taking, I mean, I know I have to take, I'm not taking like, you know, 58 year old Mac Brown. I'm taking, how old is he? 69. 69. I'm taking 69 year old Mac Brown and I get it, but we saw what he can do at his peak at Texas with the national championship with Vince Young in 2005. I mean, the, the, the peak at Texas from 2001 till 2009 11 and 2, 11 and 2, 10 and 3, 11 and 1, 13 and 0, 10 and 3, 10 and 3, 12 and 1, 13 and 1. And nobody has been able to come close since. Now he fell off at the end. Like he started looking old at the end. He made bad recruiting decisions at the end, right? They made a lot of mistakes at the end. And he went 5 and 7, 8 and 5, 9 and 4, 8 and 5 his last four years, but he's rejuvenated. They have a big-time quarterback in Sam Howell. It feels like th these young guys like playing for him. I wouldn't hire him, like, at Alabama. But I think, like, if you had a job, if you had a second-tier job, and if there's, I don't know, there's nine tier one jobs, I wouldn't hire him for that. I'd hire him for, like, any other, any second-tier job, though, which North Carolina is, yep. because he knows how to do it. He's clearly still got enough juice left to recruit and, and inspire. He hire good assistants and he's going to make North Carolina better. So he's got a national championship in the pocket, but I am basing it on the now. And I feel pretty good about taking Mac Brown here with the uh, pick number 11. 
Yeah, I had him in my 20s, um, partially because of the, the age factor a little bit, if we're talking about going forward. But I, I have always maybe defended him uh, over some of the criticisms just because I think people too quickly dismissed how high that peak was and how responsible he was for getting Texas there. He was 18 for me um, uh, because of everything Doug just laid out there. As long as he's at a place like North Carolina where it's the pressure isn't always, you know, microscopic and then he's fine there. But if you put him somewhere where what if he has a Texas moment again at the end there where he just stops putting the effort in to the recruiting and all that stuff, you know, there's that's still in the back of my head of what if that starts happening, but you care a little bit less if it happens one or two years in a row at North Carolina than if it happens at a Texas or USC or something like that. Can I ask a question and interject this here before we get to pick number 12? Sure. If we had made this draft and it would have been far too complicated, but if we had made this draft, you are the AD of a college football program. You have unlimited money. And anybody you want will say yes to you. And that's our draft. So you can, you could hire. I mean, you could hire. Well, that's who I'm asking about, but I was going to say like, you could hire Condoleezza (laughs) Rice. If you wanted to, you could hire Joe Biden. You could hire Donald Trump. You could hire, you know, uh, Angela Merkel. You could like, you could get anybody you want in the world to coach a college football team. But the question is urban. How how far would we have gotten until we picked Urban? Oh, uh, he would have been taken. I would take Urban over James Franklin and probably Lincoln Riley and probably Brian Kelly, actually. I think he might have been my first round pick. Ahead of Ryan Day? Uh, yeah, yeah. Because here's the thing at this point is like, I do think Urban might be at the point where he needs to hire a Ryan Day. Yep. Right. Which is he probably can because he's hired a Ryan Day multiple times before because he hired Dan Mullen and he hired Tom Herman and he hired Ryan Day. Right. But he probably would need to do that. And I always do think it's a little bit of a thing. It's like if you're a coach who needs to hire a great offensive coordinator, as opposed to being the coach who is the great offensive coordinator, that is a little bit of a difference. That would be, I don't want to turn this podcast into who would you rather have Urban Meyer or Ryan Day, but I think he definitely could make a case for Day. And then it's a matter of like, well, do Pantone and Marathi leave? But even if they do, has Ryan Day learned enough and we do a bookshelf thing again? I don't know. But I think Urban probably would be in the top five, though. But I think He's- hiring a guy to run your offense is different than hiring a than, than building the DNA of a program. He'd be four right. or five because how healthy is he? Yeah, I mean, that would be obviously the lingering thing, but like, yeah. I don't think, but that question wouldn't knock him down to nine. No, it, he'd right? still be top five. I think that's when you're, if you're doing a Ryan Day Urban Meyer thing, that's where that is probably the tiebreaker in that situation. I don't do, know that we'll do that texture thing. I bet you if we ask the texters, Ryan Day would get like 70 30. Ryan Day would beat Urban. Yeah. Do you, would, does it sound like a contradictory statement to say you would take Ryan Day to keep coaching Ohio State, but building a program under the what you're talking about that that scenario you're talking about that you would still take urban meyer no that might actually be the right answer mm-hmm. i think that's what i would vote yeah that's yeah. very possible because it's like you could either all right we need to build a program you could either 
take the guy who built the program or you could take the guy who learned how to build a program from the guy who would build your program. So if the, if the original's there, maybe you take him. And that's not a shot at Ryan Day. But like Urban, and I don't even know, I don't know enough about Saban. I mean, Saban clearly has a style and a way of doing business. But Urban, the structure that Urban, I mean, it's what Urban does. Urban is like a CEO like that. Like he would, Urban could be like that kind of thing that you, they make movies about those guys, right? That you, you hire a guy and he comes in and like cleans out a business and restructures it and figures it out how to make it work. Like, I do think he has that talent um, and he has dev- honed that talent very purposefully mm-hmm. over his entire career, which is why. You know, the differences between the NFL and college and all that stuff, I get it. But that's what the Jacksonville Jaguars are banking on. It's like Urban Meyer knows how to structure a successful operation sort of wherever he is. And that's what they're banking on. And I think we would still bank on that in this list. All right. Pick 12 to Nathan Baird. Mm, Yeah, not excited about this. This gets (laughs) we've reached a tough juncture. Um Um, um, I'm going to take, I'm going to take Dan Mullen, shoot, who I'm not a huge fan of personally. I think he might be, he might be adult. Um, he certainly speaks like one uh, with regularity. However, one pretty regularly at Mississippi state, we were talking before about how difficult it can be to win in the sec when you're not one of the prestige programs. He did that more or less, you know, um, was not a top 25 guy every year, but, but one games in that conference more, more often than not. And then at Florida, you've got, you know, two top seven finishes. And then last year tumbled all the way back to like top 12, but ha- has been successful at Florida. So it does mean something to me when you've been two places and you've, you've had success both places, especially if one of those places is a place where success is not common. So um, I've got like five guys I'm trying to pick from here. And that's just the one I'm going to close my eyes and pick. I think it makes sense. And I think it's interesting that we're at like pick 13 and we're at the <laughs> stage. Well, everybody but, has, I mean, there's a lot of, I could have picked again, the other five guys. I mean, they all have positives. They all have negatives at this point. And, and it's more equal. It's not that they're all bad coaches, but it's, it, 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 it bounces out a little bit more than those guys that we were picking in the top six, seven, eight. No, but I, but I think it's, I think it's a good point of like, if you have somebody who is like already been picked, then you have somebody who's better than the, ah. yeah, yeah, like there's true. good, there's bad. I think they're good. I'm not a hundred percent sure about them. If they fell off a cliff, I wouldn't be shocked. Like we're, it was actually pick 12. We're the 12th best coach in college football right now. And if Dan Mullen went, I don't know. I mean, if Dan Mullen went five and seven, the next two years, I wouldn't expect it, but I wouldn't be absolutely flabbergasted by it. And he also seems like a little bit of a jackhole. Yeah. Like, I don't know that like he said some weird stuff this year. So, all right, Steven pick 13. I'm going to go with our first pack 12 coach, Mario Cristobal. 12 and two in a normal year. First in the, in the pack 12, they won the Rose bowl that year. I'm banking on that guy more than what the pack 12 had this year when they went four and three and it was weird. I think there's a ceiling that's, I think 12 and two is a good standard for him to be at, at a place like Oregon. Yeah, I think it's a good pick. I think I might've taken him. Uh, Cristobal is number 13 uh, for our texters and Mm -hmm. Dan Mullen was number 12 
for our texters. So actually we are right on. That's where these guys got picked. That's where the texters said they should go. He had like a weird tenure at Florida international where, I mean, nobody expects you to win at Florida international, but like he wasn't very good for kind of a long time. And then he got this sort of unexpected chance um, with the Willie Taggart situation and leave leaving Oregon so quickly. So I think it's one of those examples. Again, he's definitely in the eh category of, you know, he sort of got hired kind of like what, not exactly as a plan. And then it was like, Oh yeah, he's kind of good, but you know, he didn't exactly demand to be hired. Right. I mean, he was 27 and 47 in six years at Florida international. So um, it's another example, Nathan, of that's where we are. Were you in crystal ball range on this? He was farther down my list. He was on my list of guys I was going to get to, but just farther down again, partially because I, I want to see something a little bit more sustained than what he's been able to do so far. But I, I think he's a solid coach. All right. And as you said, that is our first uh, Pac-12 mm-hmm. coach. And we'll see how many more get picked. Yeah, this is this is a really hard one for me. And I'm um, I'm not going to talk about, talk about coaches we're not picking. This might be wrong. I have always liked this guy. He has not been very good lately. He has had times where he was very good. But was he very good because of what he inherited? Like, maybe. But I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I think I still would hire him. I still think there are you know, certain jobs that would be bigger than his current job that I think he'd be a good hire for. So I'm going to take David Shaw from Stanford, who was 11 and two, 12 and two, 11 and three, his first three years taken over for Harbaugh year five, they go 12 and two. They win the Rose bowl. They finish third in the country, but the last five years, 10 and three, nine and five, nine and four, and then four and eight in 2019 and four and two last year. I don't know anything about why Stanford went four and eight in 2019. I know they had this Davis mills guys, a guy at quarterback who was like a huge recruit, who people see as potentially this dark horse in this quarterback draft because he was a big recruit who wasn't as successful in college and maybe he still has something. I don't know what happened there. I think he's a good program leader. Again, he's sort of in that age still where he's not super old. He's 48. I think he still might have some really good years ahead, but certainly recently he hasn't been as good as some other guys. So it might be a reach, but I kind of always liked him. David shot 14. Nathan, what do you think? He was in my, he was on my list. Um, he was actually not, either one of those guys are the highest Pac-12 guy I have on my list, actually, though. Interesting. Steven, yeah. were you in range on David Shaw Um, Number 19, so in range. I'm not surprised, Nathan, that he's not the top Pac-12. I think I know who the top Pac-12 coach is on your list, and you might be picking him right here. You might not be, but yeah, uh, he's had... I, Eh, you know, <laughs> I think we've just reached that point with these 15 through 20 guys, which a lot of eh, we're like, they've had some moments, but at the mo- most part, you're not really sure. I don't know. It's 19 just seemed like a good place, but I understand why you took him and where you took him. I did put him in the 20 for the Texas to rank and he finished 19th. So I'm a little high on him. The Texas uh, and I are on the same page with a lot of these. Yeah. Nathan Baird, who you got at pick 15. I think maybe I will just keep my Pac-12. It's actually the next guy on my list, um, just in terms of where I have him ranked. So I'll take him. It's Kyle Whittingham from Utah. 
who I, I don't understand why. Um, I mean, I know that he obviously it was Urban Meyer that went there and got all that started. But, you know, uh, take out last year, the previous six years, nine and four, 10 and three, nine and four, seven and six, nine and five, 11 and three. And I sort of assume every year that Utah, uh, I mean, it, it's so weird to me to think of, of the Pac-12, a Pac-12 division title having to go through Utah. But three of the last five years, they've won it. I mean, they're they're consistently a really strong program. Um, out of that last, whatever I said, six years, four of those years, they've been a top 25 program at the end of the year, peaking as high as 16. Uh, they finished, you know, you had the undefeated year in 2008 where they were a top five team. So, I, you know, I, I think he's just an underrated guy. Um, I know that he may never be able to have at Utah the kind of peak on a national level. Um, although, again, top five. So it, it's possible now that they're in a Pac-12, right? that you could put together if you're, if you go undefeated in the pack 12 and you get into the playoff out of the pack 12, I mean, anything could happen. So uh, that's still out there for him. And I think just a, a guy who it probably gets slept on a little bit just because it's Utah. Can you overstay your welcome? Is, can that be a thing at, at the school? Yeah. I don't think he can overstay his welcome at Utah. I think you can miss your window to make a jump, which is a different thing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Then maybe that's a better way. I think him and David Shaw are in that same vein. Well, I would say though, uh, uh, Whittingham's kept winning, whereas Shaw has, I think, trailed yeah, off a little bit I, here recently. But I agree with what Doug is that that what Doug throws out there about missing your window because this is a guy who every year. I mean, he's kind of like Kirk Ferentz, right? Um, a guy who I'm sure will get picked here pretty soon, but like a guy who it seemed like was getting named for other jobs year after year after year after year and it never left. And every, every power five conference job that came up for a long time, Kyle Whittingham's name seemed to be in there and he, he just never left. And, and he's kept winning at Utah. I think Utah is as good of a job as Iowa or whatever now. So, I mean, where would he necessarily go? But I think, I think what Doug is getting at might be right. That, that his, his opportunity to, to jump, uh, cause he's, I don't see how old is he? He's not he's that 61. Young. He's 13 right. years older than David Shaw. I do think it's possible that he's so underrated, he's overrated. And by that, I mean, for instance, he went in his eighth and ninth years in 2012 and 2013, he went five and seven and five and seven. David Shaw, like had a losing record in his ninth year for the first time. And then Kyle Whittingham bounced back. Like he's been around long enough to like go down and come back up. I think David Shaw might just be in a little down and he's going to come back up. David Shaw's won 71% of his games at Stanford. Kyle Whittingham's won 67% of his games at Utah. I actually do think, and you guys both, I think, had Shaw lower. I actually do think I would definitely take Shaw over Whittingham. I like Whittingham. I don't disagree with this pick, but I think when you start doing like a direct head-to-head comparison, you know, I think Stanford and Utah are probably kind of equal in terms of like, well, why why are they as good as they are? It has something to do with the coach, you know, so... um, I think that's three straight Pac-12 coaches in a row, though. I'll be curious to see if we break the uh, Pac-12 string here and curious to see when we get to another Big Ten coach. Pick 16, Stephen Means. Yeah, I'm definitely breaking this Pac-12 thing, and I'm not going Big Ten. (laughs) I'm I'm done with the Pac-12. I think it's time for Luke Fickle to come off the board. He was 14 for me. So there are some – obviously, we would – some Pac-12 guys that you guys took um, over that 14 spot for me, but he's going to be my 16th pick. I mean, Cincinnati's been really good. And outside of that Ohio State game where it was clear he was overthinking it because it was Ohio State. I mean, that bowl game at Georgia, playing Georgia, showed a lot. And I think at some point, some Power 5 school is going to hire him. 
Well, Power Five schools want to hire him. It's when yeah. does Luke decide to take the offer of a yeah. Power Five school? Yeah. So one of these days he's going to accept the job offer of a Power Five school. If you had to say right now, let's play this game since we're here. I think it's possible we're low on Luke Fickle. And I think there are probably some people who have been listening to this who have been screaming, why haven't you taken Luke Fickle yet? He got picked at 16. The Texters had him at nine. Now, of course, again, he's a Buckeye. We get it. But, you know, I do think Mario Cristobal, David Shaw, Kyle Whittingham, I think you could make a case for Luke Fickle. I think you can make a case for Luke Fickle over Mac Brown. You know, I, I think we're you certainly could do that if you wanted to. I hold the Ohio State loss against him too much because it was such a bad day on such a big day with such a good team and that they stepped up and they just looked non-competitive. It's not that they lost to Ohio State, that they looked non-competitive and I think Luke overthought it. But that's also the thing that happens probably unfairly. But on the other hand, it's like, well, if you want to be a big boy, we have to see what you do against the big boys. When you are not a power five coach, then it's like it's easy to dismiss the wind. It's like, oh, great. Congratulations for beating Tulsa. And then it's like, oh, you didn't beat a power five team. You must suck. Right. And that's not fair either. But I also think this one of those. They played Georgia really tough. Right. Mm-hmm. Didn't they kind of look like a better team than Georgia? Right. They should have won they, that game. And they lost. Equal. Yeah. And we're not playing. How close can you be to a power five team? Like, are we? Because if you're trying to have a discussion about like, well, Cincinnati should be in the playoff, that's definitely not the game you're playing. You're not playing how close can you be. You're playing you want to be in the top four teams. Do you deserve it or not? This is not that conversation. This is a different conversation. So I didn't pick Luke at a couple times where I thought about him because of that, probably unfairly. But this is the game I want to play. Five years from now, Nathan Baird, where will Luke Fickle be the head coach? Who? Oh, five years from now, Penn State. I was going to say the same thing. That's what I say too. So, like, it's like, what's he waiting for? When are they going to go to him? It's like, I don't think Franklin's a long term Penn State thing. I think they'll just decide to move on from each other at some point. And I think Luke's next. I think that's where they would go. I think they would look for that kind of thing. And I think. If Luke's not going to take Michigan State, then what's he going to take is a small list, right? So, and I think Penn State's at the top of that list, and I think it makes too much sense. So, you know, then we'll find out. Like, he's really good. I'd hire him, right? But, like, none of us also said Ohio State. You know, none of us said Ryan Day's coaching the Patriots and Luke Fickle's coaching Ohio State, which I don't think is impossible. But on some level, I also, like, I'm sort of not betting on either. So, uh, Luke Fickle at 16. Nathan, where did you have on your list? We're at a stage of my list where it's kind of like a, a lump of guys, and I'm pulling guys out as I reassess. So he's in like that. He was outside the top 15, but he was on the list. So right right in the same – right in this mix. Yeah. Um, okay. And, again, we can take whoever we want to take of the 130 – coaches in major college football. So this is a guy that I did not put on the list to the texters because I had him in there and I had like 28 names I wanted to send and I could only send 20. So I took him off because it's like impossible to evaluate him practically, but we're at this point 
And so I will take Steve Sarkeesian at Texas. And in the name of quarterback guru, offensive mastermind, seems like he has an idea of how to recruit, had off-field stuff that cost him his job uh, at USC. Like if that's all sorted out and he's good to go, like I think he might be really good. And I think in two years he might be – fifth on this list right so it's kind of weird to take him at this point but beyond usc he also was at washington you know and he had five years at washington where he wasn't great he was 34 and 29 so we don't want to overestimate that he was nine and four in his one full year at usc so he's had six and a half years as a head coach and he's 46 and 35 but he just did the whole nick saban rejuvenation thing he clearly knows how to run an offense if he's learned some lessons about how to lead a program, you know, it's 17. I wouldn't have wanted to take him much higher than this. I wouldn't take him over David Shaw. You know, I wouldn't hire him over David Shaw, but I'm comfortable here. Where do you guys think of Sarkeesian? I think that's a a strong pick at this stage. It's one that um, I had overlooked a little bit, and I I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, Again, just at a stage where like all these guys are have had some level of success, but have some reason why you kind of look sideways at it. So um, it, it, this is a stage of, of the draft where all these guys have something to prove. He was number 21 on my list because back to the recruiting part of this, all that stuff that happened in the past has not kept him from having immediate recruiting success at Texas. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think, you know, again, and there's the, the unknown, I think, favors him a little bit here because he's removed enough from the USD thing. Again, he wasn't great at Washington, and we may right. get into some other guys. I think we might, by the end, start picking some guys who barely have a track record, but we think are interesting and have potential, and I think he fits in that kind of thing. So, all right, Nathan, pick number 18. Here's one where I'm bouncing around my list a little bit, and I've talked myself into it. It's Brett Bielema. Oh my gosh. Ring the bell. Ring the bell for Brett Bielema failed as much as I enjoy Brett Bielema. There is no doubt that he is failed Arkansas coach Brett Bielema, but also good at Wisconsin. Yeah. Yeah. Winning records in three of his five seasons at, at Arkansas, but clearly did not, um, certainly did not have the same level of success that he did at Wisconsin, but that it's the Wisconsin tenure. And I know that he was coming in after Barry Alvarez there. There already was a structure in place there, et cetera, et cetera. I'm, I'm acknowledging that, but it was a pretty prolonged period. In fact, even, you know, start off strong, had a dip and then came back strong again, um, became like the, the power in the big 10 there right before Meyer came in and kind of rejuvenated that for Ohio state. And, um, and I feel like any place that he went, he's also only 51. So I think any place that he went, he could put that same structure in place and he wouldn't try to get fancy with it. He wouldn't try. I don't think he would overthink himself. I think he would kind of fall back on what he knows would, would succeed. And I think there are a lot of places you could go in college football with that approach and kind of hunker down and end up building something pretty successful with it. What do you think of Brett here, Steven? That is not who I thought the next big coach would be coming (laughs) off of the board at all. I don't hate it because I think we had, I mean, we had a pod earlier this year where we, we hyped up Brett Bealey a lot. I just did not think that we'd still be in the top 20 and he'd be coming off the board. So 
Yeah, you threw a ringer in there. That's interesting. He was number 24 on my list. Yeah, I, I don't know that I would have picked him. As much of a, as much of a Bielema guy as I am, um, I do think the Arkansas thing hangs on him a little bit. And it's the thing we said again. It's like, all right, well, did he just take the ball from Barry Alvarez and run? And then when he had to do it on his own, like he couldn't do it. You know, it's the great, it's the great question, Nathan, that it is at least a somewhat similar question to the Ryan Day Urban Meyer question, BLM of the way he took over from Barry Alvarez. Um, I don't know if it's really that close, though. I mean, you're talking about a guy leaving the Big Ten and going into the SEC and not even going into one of the powers of the SEC. Although Arkansas has had some success, but he's not going to one of those like true prestige programs in the SEC and trying to win. And so I, that's not really analogous to me to like what Ryan Day is doing, succeeding Urban Meyer at the same school in the Big Ten. No, but I mean, that, that taking, had the- no, but he, when he took over for Barry Alvarez at Wisconsin, that's analogous, is it not? Yeah, but they won. They were like they were strong every year. They won. They were. Go, they went to the Rose Bowl his last three straight year. I mean, how how did he not have that same level of success? No, that's what I'm saying. Ryan oh, okay. Day took over from Urban Meyer and is very successful at Ohio State. But how much of it is because of what he took over? Brett Bielema took, took over for Barry Alvarez and was very successful at Wisconsin. But how much of it was caused by? just keeping the Barry Alvarez train and that style of football rolling. And then when he left that, he wasn't nearly as successful. That's what I wonder about. Although, again, if you absorb the lessons, the Barry Alvarez way of doing football probably should work at Illinois better than it worked at Arkansas. So maybe that's enough. Right. Just do a, do a Barry Alvarez impersonation. And at Wisconsin, we have the results from years five, six, seven, where you're getting farther and farther and farther away from your predecessor, although Barry Alvarez obviously was still very much involved with Wisconsin athletics during that whole time. Mm -hmm. But you're getting farther and farther away from that person and standing even more on your own two feet, even though even if you are following the blueprint using some of that same infrastructure. All right, that's pick 18. We will take a quick break. When we come back, we will say who won our Yahoo basketball NCAA tournament bracket, who gets to be on Buckeye Talk with us, and then we will do our final six picks, the last two rounds of our college football head coaching draft. You are listening to Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Doug, Nathan, Stephen, make sure you guys are reading Cleveland.com slash OSU whenever you get a chance to do it. We'll certainly take some reviews at Apple Podcasts. Anything you'd like to say about Buckeye Talk? Nathan, who won? You are the bracket maestro. Our winner is Aaron Hake from the 513. He totaled 145 points. He picked three of the four Final Four teams. He did not have, I believe he had Michigan winning the region that UCLA won, but he had the other three teams correct. And then he picked Baylor over Gonzaga. And this didn't end up mattering. You have to put a score in for the tiebreaker. But his score was 81 to 69. So we even had Baylor uh, easily beating Gonzaga in the national championship game. And so he is our winner and it was a, it wasn't that close. It was a five point win at the end. So big congratulations to Aaron Hake for his inaugural championship here. So uh, I think the easiest way to do this is Aaron, just go to Nathan's house and knock on the door whenever you want. And then Nathan will just text me and Steven and say, Aaron's here. Let's do a podcast. So I'd say anytime between like 6 a.m. and midnight, Nathan. 
Uh, preferably, yeah, preferably um, 6 a.m. or midnight to 6 a.m. You mean? Yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, real quick, Nathan Furness was the runner-up, 140 points. Also picked Baylor over Gonzaga. Uh, Alec, I want to mention him for finishing third with 139 points because he titled his bracket, this bracket will go nine and three, but it actually finished third. And uh, they all picked Baylor to beat Gonzaga. And then um, I finished 23rd. Steven finished 130th. Yes. And Doug, Doug with a late rally, got off of the last page and moved all the way up to the fourth page results at 198. Oh, I finished in the ones. I thought for sure I was going to be in the 200s. You got the top 200. So congratulations. Woo! Number 198 with a bullet. That might be number 198 with a hybrid safety linebacker. Uh, <laughs> all right. Let's do pick number 19. So, Aaron, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll find you and we'll, we'll get in touch and we'll figure out when you're going to be a Buckeye talk. All right. We won't take quite as long with these picks because, frankly, nobody cares. Steven, pick 19. Who you got? It's like filling out the rest of your AP bowl. Once you get to the twenties, you're like, all right, let's just figure this out. Ah, who's the coastal Carolina coach? I don't <laughs> <Yeah>. know. <laughs> Paul Chris deserves to make this list, even though Wisconsin is basically the best version of itself. I mean, they've won the big 10 West three times and they finished second twice and finished third once. I mean, 56 and 19. I mean, it's pretty quality. It's not awesome. But when we're talking about people in the twenties at this point or 19 at this point, I think it deserves to be mentioned. No, you don't have to apologize. I mean, he he definitely should be picked. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't, again, I think he is a great match of school and coach, mm-hmm. but I also don't think he has to apologize for that. And I'm not, I don't know. I, I think we could have a debate. Should he be ahead of Brett Bielema? I don't, I don't know. I mean, he has not had like the Rose Bowl success that Brett Bielema had, who, who made three straight Rose Bowls. Uh, to end his career at Wisconsin. Paul Christ has not done that. He's made one Rose Bowl, but I don't know. Paul Christ has finished in six years. They finish in the top 11 three times. And Brett Bielema in seven years finished in the top 11 three times. I don't, Nathan, I think it's a, if, if we had like Wisconsin fans on here and who really wanted to have a debate, I think it at least would be an interesting debate. And I actually, most of the time, I, I would not care to hear Wisconsin fans debate anything about their own program. No offense. But I actually would be interested to hear like a, a, a debate between like two educated Wisconsin fans, one on each side here, because I would be curious what they would bring up. I think what skews it a little bit is that when you're comparing across the Big Ten, aren't you? You're comparing Paul Christ against what Ohio State is right now in this moment. And then and you have better perspective on this. But Bielema seemed to take advantage a little bit of the Ohio State dip, right? No, well, I mean, the big, t- I mean, Ohio State was the best team in the Big Ten the whole time Brett Bielema was here, and he only beat Ohio State once. Mm-hmm. So he was like mm-hmm. a rival. He was like a thorn in their side, but he only beat them in 2010 when Ohio State got to number one and got upset in Madison because Wisconsin ran back the opening kickoff. He never beat them otherwise. He just was like a turd, a, a lovable, not lovable. It's, he's not lovable. What's the word? What's a word for a turd? that you don't love, but you kind of smile at. Oh, man, you turd like that. Like, oh, man, you turd. Oh, that crazy turd. So he sort of did take advantage. He definitely took advantage of being like in like the divisions where everybody who wasn't Ohio State sucked, which frankly is what Wisconsin is still living on. Like, you know, Iowa's kind of at a plateau below Wisconsin. Nebraska stinks. You know, Northwestern actually has made it 
Paul Christ has had to deal with Pat Fitzgerald and Northwestern in a way that like Brett, Brett Bielema didn't have to worry about. Right. So um, I don't know. It's very, I mean, they made one of his three Rose Bowls was a fake Rose Bowl because Ohio State and Penn State were both banned from the Big Ten championship game. Wisconsin finished third in the division and then won the Big Ten title game and went to the Rose Bowl. And it was that was 2012. And in 2011 was the year that Ohio State was six and seven. So that if that's mm-hmm. the dip you're talking about, that's two of his three Rose Bowls. On that right. point, you are absolutely correct. Yes. And so then actually, the other one. So 2000. Yeah. Well, yeah, right. They, it was like. Yeah, you're actually right. There's a lot of stuff that actually factors into that two-year weirdness of Ohio State. Well, Chris has a year where I mean they were went away a Big Ten championship went away from being in the being in the playoff, and then they went and won the old Orange Bowl anyway. Yeah, yeah, and they, and they gave Ohio State a game. It wasn't yeah. that was the year they got 20, flattened, right? Yeah, that 2017. Was... Yeah, I I might take. I think I would take Chris over Bielema. Stephen, who would you take, Bielema or Chris? I took Chris first. Chris was number 20 on my re- list, and Bielema was number 24. And uh, Nathan, as we discuss this, is it close in your mind between Bielema and Chris? Um, the more we discuss it, it's it's a little bit closer, yeah. Um, I guess I, I, I've never held what happened to Bielema at Arkansas as, as being necessarily evidence that he was a bad coach. You can't call it success, even though it was three winning seasons in five years, but it also wasn't, um, I, I guess I don't look at it as, as the, a, a, a cataclysmic failure the way some people have. So um, that, that, that maybe factors into my thinking on this a little bit. Okay. Uh, Paul Christ, I did have in our top 20 list. He was 15th right behind James Franklin ahead of Kyle Whittingham and David Shaw. And I did not have um, Brett Bielema on that list. So we don't know what that would have been another like weasel texter that you wouldn't have been able to figure out what they actually think. All right. So we're really getting to a weird spot. I'm tempted. There's a guy that I like who I'll talk about at the end who I probably like, like unnaturally. And I'm not even sure why I like him so much necessarily, but I just, I do like him. Um, but I'm going to take like a guy with like a huge track record, like a huge track record who is actually not as good as he used to be. But I think when he was at his peak, he was top 10. So to take him at 20, I'm pretty good with it. And it's Gary Patterson of TCU. I like that. that. Yeah. That he is a guy. He, um, in 2008, they finished seventh, 2009, they finished sixth, 2010, they finished second. 2014, they thought they should have made the playoff. They finished third. They were seventh in 2015. They were ninth in 2017. Now, the last three years, seven and six, five and seven, six and four. So maybe he's hitting the downside here, but man, he has won a lot. And again, in terms of like building up a program, you know, Dennis Francione was 10 and two his last year at TCU, but they were still in the whack then. And then like Patterson kind of brought him into the modern world to the mountain West and then to the big 12. And like, he's the guy he's like the best coach in the history. I guess maybe Abe Martin and Dutch Meyer. I don't want to short Dutch Meyer who went six, three and one in 1949. So if anyone in Dutch Meyer's family is listening, it looked like you were there a long time. And now, by the way, I forgot. Yes. And we wrote about this when they played TCU, Francis Schmidt, who has coached both TCU and Ohio state. It's Francis Schmidt. But I think Patterson here, if you're going on resume is clearly low. 
if you're going on like right now, I think this probably feels right. But again, he was a top 10 coach at one point in his career. He's got an undefeated season on his resume. He's coaching four different conferences, which I think is, is hilarious. I mean, the 2014 season where it, TCU was in the running for that number four spot in the playoff along with Ohio State. Obviously, obviously won that out. Yeah, I like this. He was number 22 on my list. Yeah, he was, right. That was going to be my next pick. Okay. I had him 15. Wow. Okay. So then who do you, who are you going to take at 21, Nathan? This one may be a little bit off the board for some people. It was who I thought Illinois might take instead of Brett Bielma, and it's Lance Leipold from Buffalo. Our second non-Power 5 coach. Who was a, you know, he spent eight years at Wisconsin Whitewater and won six Division three championships and, um, and then has gone to Buffalo and made them a top 25 program. And um, is somebody whose name is, is getting mentioned in pretty much every job that comes open. He's 56 now. And I, I kind of wonder if he got just a little bit of a late start on this, if he'll ever get the chance to jump somewhere and, and build that into like get to a power five job and build it. Um, if he doesn't go in the next couple of years that, that I don't know, but I, I think he's just a really talented guy. I think that his team's, um, what he did at the lower levels and what he's doing now, I think kind of speak for itself. I think he's done a good job. No argument. He was on my list of guys to think about picking here at the end. And I think he, uh, I think he does probably deserve that. So, and he's been a Buckeye talk guest, which is not true of any of the first 20 coaches picked, not even true of Ryan day who continues to snub us despite the fact that he's never actually been asked. Because he just would definitely say no. All right, well, maybe he wouldn't say no. I don't want to. I don't want to shortchange him. But maybe we'll ask at some point. All right, this is our last round. Stephen means this is your last pick. Who are you taking in the coach draft? I'm going to take Ed Orgeron. I was wondering if he'd get picked. I was too. I was sort of hoping Doug would take him so he could hear the voice. Uh, disrespectful to take Coach O in uh, yeah. the eighth round of the coach draft. Uh, coach O's won a national championship. A lot of coaches on this list have never won a national championship. And the goal 22 is just a motivator for Coach O to go out here in uh, the year 2021 and show that I at least can be number 20 or number 21 and not number 22. Well, I would like to say thank you to my good friend, Stephen Means, who is invited down to uh, Baton Rouge at any time to uh, hang out and eat some gator legs and uh, be our Coach O's good friend. Thank you, Stephen. His resume is so awful. And it's just surrounding a, a national championship. That If you just wipe away that, this is a very bad resume. 10 and 25 at Ole Miss. Obviously, he got the boot early, 6 and 2 at USC. And then 30 and 14 at LSU. It's just he's propped up so much by that national championship, but you, he won a national title, and there aren't a lot of college coaches who have, so he has to make the list. Yeah, I mean, I, I would be fine with, with not taking him, right? Like, I, I think it would be fine to not take him, but he did win a national title, and, and like, Nathan, part of it is like, well, it was all Joe Brady. Well, I don't know. I guess, I guess Coach O hired Joe Brady. And like, it was all Joe Burrow. And it's like, well, I don't know. I mean, at least, at least coach O didn't scare away Joe Burrow when he wanted to go there. And he might've been a reason that he went. I don't know that. Like, I guess if like to say like, well, you only win because of your coordinators and your players. It's like, well, isn't that what a coach is supposed to do? Surround yourself with good coaches and good players, and then maybe get out of the way. So I don't want to be overly dismissive of the fact 
that when they actually won the national title, I'm not sure Coach O was one of the 10 most important guys in the program, right? If you said like, okay, now that everybody's here for the first day, it's, it's the opener. We are getting ready to start this season. Take the 10 most important people in the program. Please take a step forward. And like Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson and Grant Delpit and Patrick Queen and Joe Brady and Derek Joe Burrow <laughs> and Coach O all step forward. And then you said, okay, one of you <laughs> is going to be transported by aliens to another planet until the day after the national title game. I think he'd be like, oh, that feels like Coach O should be transported. I don't want to lose uh, that's good receivers or linebackers here. So I'll let Joe Brady call the plays and Coach O is going to go to another planet. And everybody would be like, yeah, it's definitely you. Right? But is that is that a shot? Or is that like great job surrounding yourself with talented people who were good at their jobs? I, but I think that's the, the essence of the question is what Steven was getting at. Like, do you give so much credit for having pulled that off, like threading that needle at LSU that you overlook the rest of the track record where he clearly did not do that? In fact, he got the wrong coordinators and the wrong players together to lose football games. And it's uh, to the point of I've, if I just dinged James Franklin for just letting it all fall apart in the state. I mean, Louis, I don't know how many states there are in the country who have more talent than Louisiana does. I and thought you were going to say, I don't know how many states there are in the country. <laughs> yeah. Fuck, I talk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would have been amazing. But, I mean, look, Louisiana is an SEC country, and Alabama and Georgia aren't that far. And Yes, these kids probably grow up wanting to play for LSU, but if LSU sucked, they would go elsewhere. And they don't. They stay home. And so he at least does that part of making sure these kids don't go anywhere. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's a good pick. And, like, I'm not sad that I didn't get to pick him, but I think I think we, I think think we, he probably did need to be picked in the name of, like, being real and not just thinking that a guy is a bad vocal impression. So, Cocho is number 22. I'm very torn here. Um I'm torn probably between, well, maybe I'm not torn because I feel like there's a guy that probably needs to be picked, except it's like super complicated and it feels weird. Buckeye talk. So like, I, I guess I can talk later about the guys that I thought about picking here and didn't pick, but I think to actually take a guy who has had one, two, three, four double digits winning seat, double digit win seasons as a head coach is pretty good. He's finished in the top 18 of the AP poll for the last six years. It's pretty good. I'll take Jim Harbaugh. Like I, it's so complicated. It's like, you can't even like evaluate him as a coach because he's so much more and so much less, but He's been around for a long time, and Michigan is definitely better than when he took over. Are they as good as they should be? Maybe not, but we had that discussion about Brian Kelly at number three, right? I mean, they're definitely – he's not as good as Brian Kelly. Michigan is better than when he got there, so that's something. And he kind of built something at Stanford that he went 12-1 and his last year at Stanford, finished fourth in the country, won the Orange Bowl, and handed it off to David Shaw, who kept it rolling, right? So – 
He's 49 and 22 at Michigan. Last year was bad. I actually like some of the offseason moves. They, they're recruiting a little bit. I don't think it's unreasonable to take Jim Harbaugh at 23. I did put him on the list for the Texters, and of course he finished last, and it wasn't even close. David Shaw was 19th at 15.52. Jim Harbaugh was 17.54, which means not everybody ranked him last of the 20 choices I gave, but a lot of them did. Nathan, does it make sense to have Harbaugh on this list? He was who I was going to take. I mean, that was going to be my next pick. So you stole the last two rounds from me. I mean, I would have taken Harbaugh over Christ, Sarkeesian, Shaw, probably Brown, um, and then Patterson was close. I probably I would have taken Patterson. I think so. I mean, I. I I, I think it, it, the hate's gone a little bit too far because I think, as you pointed out, like that that that, that success that you're talking about that's spread over three stops now. I mean, he was he wins at San Diego State at a level that they hadn't really won at before. He goes to Stanford San, and makes San it Diego, that, San Diego, or San Diego, yeah, San Diego, and then at at, um, at at Stanford obviously has that kind of success that you you talk about in the same breath as like someone like Pat Fitzgerald maybe aspiring to, but he got there and did it, and then now, you know, it, we we look at. The, the Michigan tenure is, is looked at almost solely through or too much through just the Ohio state rivalry. And I know why that's important, but it's not like they've been a disaster. They're just the, like the no. Iowa of the East. And I would rather take, I would still rather take Harbaugh over like Kirk Ferentz. So. Yeah. Steven, did you have him in range? I did. He, he was number tw- 23 for me though. And I think that's probably low. Um, I think Nathan's right. I think we are. I, I think we have a tendency to look at this as you know, their rival is one of the three best programs in the country and they can't compete with them. And so we discredit everything else Jim Harbaugh does because of that. And I think that's not fair. So if I probably redid my list, he's probably in the top 20, top 15. All right, Nathan, finish it off with the 24th and final pick in our head coach draft. Uh, I feel like it's going to be anticlimactic because um, this guy is not a very <laughs> sexy name, but I'm going to take Jeff Monken from Army. They've averaged, I think, about 10 wins a season over the last uh, four or five years, a, a program that had had not won since, um, you know, like World War II or whatever, had, had not really been any kind of a, a football. And then, but, but more to the point than that, they've gotten on the field with programs like Michigan, like Oklahoma, and, and taking them to overtime, been right there on the cusp of, of knocking off major wins and, um, uh, you know, beat up on some other power five or not, not power five. I guess Houston's not power five, but, but crushed Houston in a bowl game a couple years ago. I, I guy wins. And so I'll give him credit for that. But I know it's not like a, maybe the big exclamation point that we would want to end the draft on. That's OK. We can end it on a semicolon. Actually, I guess you can't end a sentence on a semicolon, but um, I was going to say I almost took Chip Kelly, which I thought would have been. I think you should have a took more Kip. interesting conversation. You should have took Chip Kelly. So, Stephen, it, it was Chip Kelly like in your top twenty-four? He was number twenty-four, right behind Brett Bielema. Interesting. Yeah, I did not give much consideration to Chip Kelly. What What is it about Chip Kelly lately that would lead you to believe he's ten and twenty-one at UCLA? I know. I mean, is it just all Oregon? He's three and nine, four and eight, and three and four at UCLA. 
he obviously was awesome. He was 46 and seven at Oregon. And then he left the team for Helfrich that almost won a national championship. Is it just all Oregon or do you think there are things are stirring at UCLA? All Oregon. I, I also don't think I'm, I mean, how much better do we expect UCLA as a football program in general to be that that has to play winning a record. He's 10 and 21 at UCLA. He sucks yeah. at UCLA. You have he to hold sucks. that. I mean, I don't this past year, whatever, but the previous two years, I mean, it hadn't got off to a scorching start. I get to me. It is the great success he had at Oregon. And I also the NFL experience to me is very singular to the NFL. And there's, I don't hold that against him that much as I'm evaluating what he could do as a college coach. He was decent in the, in the NFL. He was 10 and six his first two years and got to a wild card once and won the NFC East. But yeah, it's, it's all Oregon. I think if you put him back in a school like that, he's able to do that again and recreate. But that. why can't he do it at UCLA? Should, like, wh- why isn't why aren't they getting? Why don't they? Why doesn't he have his feet under him at all? It feels like at UCLA, unless maybe he does, and I don't realize. I I, I just don't know what what in these first three years what we were really expecting for from UCLA from an on the field. And yet, okay. Yeah. Winning record B five. But I don't know if that was actually the expectation for how the first three years are supposed to go at UCLA, even with him there. Yeah. I don't know. I think he might've lost it a little bit, but um, all right. Going to the NFL didn't help with that. The the three prior years to him getting there. I mean, they had won six, four, eight, 10, 10, nine. So they were not, they're not that far away from, from at least being, um, you know, a top 20 program. Mm. All right. Among the guys that didn't get picked, um, Lane Kiffin didn't get picked. Mike Leach did not get picked. Uh, Chris Kleiman at Kansas state who had a lot of success at the lower level at North Dakota state. I think a lot of people like him, uh, Herm Edwards at Arizona state, again, older coach, but I at least thought about a little bit. He's given them a little bit of juice. Kirk Ferentz was one of the names that I gave the texters. Tom Allen at Indiana was also a name that I gave the texters because, you know, I leaned a little more Big Ten in that. Uh, Tom Allen was 16th with the texters ahead of Kyle Whittingham, ahead of David Shaw, ahead of Jim Harbaugh. Kirk Ferentz was 18th with the texters. I get like Ferentz is what he is. If you think we're disrespecting him because he goes eight and four at Iowa every year, I get it. Maybe we are. I also get why we didn't pick him. Tom Allen has like a lot of juice coming off this year. Nathan, did you give him much consideration? Yeah, he was, he was lower on the list, but um, I, I, I want to see them beat some good teams. Yeah. Initially when I did it, I just threw him in the top 15 and then I had to take a step back and go, am I a little recency bias? Because it seems like he's on to something now based off of the fact that they were able to come back from being down 45 to seven to Ohio state. Yeah, I mean, he's got he's got a little juice. I get it, and we'll see if it carries over to recruiting or if it's more than a one-year thing, but I also get why we didn't put him in our top 24. I, I thought maybe somebody would. The guy that I kept saying that I really like that hasn't done anything yet is Jimmy Lake at Washington, who was a coordinator when Ohio State played them in the Rose Bowl and just seems like a guy who's got it. And again, sort of, there's some similarities from like the Chris Peterson, Jimmy Lake handoff to Urban Meyer, Ryan Day. Now, Jimmy Lake's first year kind of got screwed up um, by only having it be, uh, you know, half a year. I think he was three and one last year, but I think he's maybe got a chance. But also they aren't roping in all the Washington guys. 
Steven, right? Because like Ohio mm-hmm. State's still like taking Washington guys and people. There's some good talent in Washington. And if he was just absolutely killing it, like JT Tumalau would have committed to Washington by now. And like he didn't. So I think uh, I don't want to put it solely on this, but I do. I am interested in, if we'd have had a normal 2020 season and Jimmy, like instead of being able to play only four games, if he'd have had a full 12 game season and they had gone 10 and two, how would that impacted some things? If you guys to see a full season of it for guys like Emeka and JT. Yeah. So I think, I think he might be coming. It's just, I mm-hmm. think it's probably too early to put him on a list like this, even though I did put uh, Steve Sarkeesian on it. Uh, Gus Malzahn at Auburn, who's now at UCF got fired at Auburn. Um, I didn't really think about, but we had at least one texter pointed out Jeff Halfley. Do people love Jeff Halfley so much that going six and five at Boston college would have put him into any consideration. Clay Helton at USC, if they're kind of getting it turned around there at all. Um, I don't know. Then you're just into like a lot of guys, Justin Fuente at Virginia tech, Bronco, Bronco Mendenhall at Virginia, you know, just guys who haven't Mike Gundy, who I, you know, I didn't really want to pick Mike Gundy. He has a pretty good record. You know, they win a lot. He probably, I mean, if we're being completely honest, he probably is one of the 24 best coaches. He just seems like a guy. He's a little bit of a jackhole. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, he's, had issues with players. Chuba Hubbard, you know, wasn't thrilled with him at some point. So um, I think Mel Tucker and PJ Fleck are, are both guys who maybe could have been in the conversation. And again, if you wanted to go on the past, Greg Schiano has been a pretty darn successful head football coach in the past. If, if somebody would have wanted to go there, Stephen, I wouldn't have been shocked to see Greg Schiano in the top 24. Wouldn't have been shocked if he was in the 20s. I think if we'd have done this a year ago, PJ Fleck would have been in the top 10. I think just based off coming off of that type of momentum and what we think Minnesota might be able to do next. I'm glad nobody picked Mike Leach. I'm super happy. Nobody did that. I would only have picked him to be my media liaison. So if we have a game where we lose, we just send him out there and he can just, you know, send out some wacky quotes instead of actually having to answer real questions. But uh, yeah, I'm glad nobody picked him either. Yeah. And Leach was on that list of people that I mentioned and I would put Kiffin on there. I would put, maybe even PJ Fleck on there that like, I don't know if it works everywhere. You might have yeah. to be at a specific place for it to work. Cause if you go somewhere else, it could go really bad, really fast. Like, you know, I don't, I don't think, you know, Ohio state's never going to hire someone like Mike Leach. Yeah. Like right. a place you have to go to a place where they really kind of want you to let your hair down a little bit. It's not going to fit everywhere. Ohio state's not rowing the boat. No, they're not wearing the pirate shirt, <laughs> right? They, um, the other guy I actually think who's a pretty good coach who we just didn't talk about at all is Brian Harson, who just got hired by Auburn from Boise State. Uh, mm-hmm. At Boise, he was 69 and 19. And last year he didn't, but in the three previous years, they finished in the top 25. And so, you know, we know Boise's good, but that guy got an SEC job based off what he did at Boise, and 69-19 is pretty good, so. You know, maybe we could have taken him too. I also say yeah. this: at Clay Helton had landed Malik Murphy, the five-star quarterback from California. I think I, I, I Brett Miller was my number twenty-four. I might have replaced him with Clay Helton had he landed that type of quarterback because then it's real. Yeah, and if I mean they've done better if they keep it up and yeah. and show in a year. I mean he could be in the top twenty or top fifteen in a year if they have a, a really good season and show it in recruiting. So, all right, that's our list. We just want to do something different, so we did. We'll get back to talking about what's going on with the current Ohio State football team. Uh, that's kind of where we butter our bread. So we know that. Make sure you're reading cleveland.com/slash/osu. We have a lot of stories there about what's going on with the current football team. And again, we will at some point 
um, after the spring game. We'll have some kind of spring game preview, maybe for the big pod next Wednesday. And then maybe like the one after that, we'll do some kind of draft preview and predict where these NFL Buckeyes are going to get chosen. So thanks to you guys for listening. For Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice. And that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.